0: this is winnipeg sports talk daily with andrew hustler patterson and michael remus hey what's up everyone hope you had an awesome weekend and a very happy mother's day i guess belated uh but i hope all the moms out there had a great great uh day yesterday and hope all of you did uh some special things for your mom Special shout-out to my mom. She's uh, overseas right now, but i uh, sure they might check in on the show. So, Mom, love you. Hope you had a great one. Um, it was a glorious weekend. Um, maybe for everyone other than the execs at Rogers in TSN because there are no Canadian teams left in the Stanley Cup playoffs after the Oilers and Toronto Maple Leafs were bounced from the playoffs all over the course of the weekend. We're going to get to that. Uh, Tommy Gazzola... Our pal doing pre and post uh, coverage for the Oilers in Edmonton is going to jump on. We'll talk about the end of their season. And um, we're also going to get to uh, the latest with the Bombers in the Jets offseason with Jeff Hamilton coming up. We're going to do this a little bit later on. But the Athletic has also dropped their first offseason trade bait board and... Uh, No surprise there's some Jets content, although I'm not sure any of us would have had four of the top eight names on the list being Winnipeg Jets. It starts with Connor Hellebuck and goes from there. We'll definitely hit on that as well. Uh, And of course, there's a lot going on with uh, the Winnipeg Ice, the Centennial Cup, and the Gold started off their season, uh, in addition to a busy weekend of bomber training camp. So going to be a very busy show. Great to have you all with us. And uh, buckle up for a fun couple hours here to get going with another week of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. We'll bring Remo in in just a second. Um, But I do want to thank the sponsors that make the show happen each and every day. Our friends at Cool Bet Canada. Got a nice exclusive up at the exclusives for Game 7 tonight between the Stars and Kraken. We'll hit that a little bit later on. Of course, Princess Auto, Consolidated Supply, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, Little Brown Jug, Nick and Nikki DQ F Apparel Wallace and Wallace Vita Health Canadian Club Manitoba Battery Aquatech Modern Man Assiniboia Downs and those Winnipeg Gold Eyes that have their home opener coming up on Friday night. We'll touch on that in a little bit as well. Uh, but welcome to everybody in the chat. Great to see you all. Hope you all had a great weekend. If you haven't already, you're finding us a little later on. Make sure you hit that red subscribe button and join us daily. 1 o'clock p.m. Central, Monday to Friday for the live broadcast. And you can also on YouTube, of course, and you can find the audio podcast uh, up around 3.30 in the afternoon. Just in time for your ride home. If you can't catch the show live, wherever you get your favorite podcast, just search Winnipeg Sports Talk. Let's get Remus in here. Remo, how was your weekend? Was um, uh, How was your Mother's Day for both your mom and the mom of,
1: uh, of, of your
0: two little ones?
1: Yeah, I, I got my mother in law as well, and it was nice. Spent time with all of them. I had a nice breakfast and a nice dinner. Got my wife a gift. Uh, actually, she had you been involved hinting- in the dinner. Before we talk about the gifts, were you involved in the
0: dinner? Was this no, ordering? We Did in. you go out? Oh, okay. We so just ordered ordered. In, went, went you out. didn't you
1: didn't force your wife to make her own Mother's Day dinner though. No. That's good. We got okay, invited that's out good. invited out to my in-laws. So that was good. So it was great, great Mother's Day. And uh it was great weather too, which helped us though. And then oh. I ended it off with the great nine PM start. Wasn't that awesome? With Damn. one game on the schedule, nine nine p.m. Come on.
0: That uh listen. We usually here on this program have a lot of time for the West Coast games. That was a joke. And I I, I mean, listen, it just goes to show that regardless of the billions that Rogers Sportsnet paid to uh, National Hockey League, uh, they are beholden to their U.S. television partners in ESPN. And Spectre had an interesting uh, article on that. Because uh, everyone was wondering, like, why in the world is this game starting so late on a Sunday with nothing else going on? And the only NBA playoff action was a 2:30 game between the Celtics and Sixers in Game 7 of their playoff series. Uh, well, it was an ESPN game. ESPN has a much bigger money deal with Major League Baseball for Sunday Night Baseball. What was it? The Phillies and the Red Sox, I think. The uh, Cardinals, Cardinals and the Red Cardinals. Sox. Cardinals, who were terrible this year, by the way, uh, playing. So it couldn't be on ESPN. And I don't know whether this is true. I mean, I'll take it for at face value because Mark Spector wrote about it in Sportsnet. But they couldn't move the game to ESPN because there was a previous commitment <laughs> to cornhole. No. What? It, The American Cornhole Association had an event that was beginning at, I believe, 9 o'clock or 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central on ESPN2. So uh, they had no choice. And to make matters worse, if you can believe this, Remo, the game went a little late. The baseball game went. Now, we didn't have this issue here in Canada watching it on uh, the Canadian channels. But they joined the game late. They had to wait out the ninth inning of the game and join it, and missed the first three goals that happened in the first three minutes of the game yesterday.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's really sad. And you know, you, you thought you know the NHL was getting a you know great deal here going to ESPN, and I think they've gotten a lot of exposure. But when you have Connor McDavid in an elimination game, the best player, and it has to be at 9 p.m. you know Central Time start, and that's 8 p.m. local time there. Something doesn't sit right about that, and a lot of people annoyed. It it. But uh, yeah, you, something's got to something's got to give there. They can't be in that situation. That's not good, not good for the league. And um, yeah, didn't, it, a lot of people wondering, you know, how does that game start at 9 p.m. when there's no other games on? Um, that shouldn't happen.
0: No, uh, it, it shouldn't. Uh, I'm sure they'll uh, they'll talk about it a lot at the meetings. But at the end of the day, um, they worked hard to get ESPN on with them they obviously made some concessions ESPN didn't want to trade the game to TNT um so there you have it Uh, a 9 p.m game at the end of a weekend on Mother's Day where a lot of people have had busy days um and unfortunately that was it for the Edmonton Oilers well I guess unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you feel about it all um you know, we'll get to the Leafs in a minute, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that team tomorrow in the aftermath. I know uh, all their players are meeting with the media today on uh, the annual garbage day, uh, garbage bag day, cleanout locker cleanout day. Uh, but here's the uh, here's the not autocorp question of the day for all of you, for our friends over at not at Waverley and McGillivray. Um, are you upset that both Canadian teams are out? Does it matter to you? This is often a conversation, ream that we hear every year. There's some people who go, well, oh, I'm cheering for the Canadian team. Certainly, I mean, I joked last night that flags are at half mast at Rogers HQ today <laughs> uh, after the uh, Leafs were bounced out and then it got even worse, although not as important, I don't think, to the folks at Rogers of the Oilers, but one of those teams. But there are some people that really like Canadian teams and then there's others that, and I'll kind of put myself in this category, that you know have one team that we support and I'm not upset that the Leafs are done I'm not upset that the Oilers are done um listen I I wanted I I am maybe a little more upset that the Oilers are done just because I would have loved to have seen McDavid and Dreisaitl continue to play in the playoffs I mean those guys are so much fun but I'll tell you what I mean when the Jets came into the league I made a bet with a couple friends that the Jets would be the next Canadian team to win the cup And it's still alive right now. Frankly, if you had made that bet in 1994, that bet would still be alive right now. It is pretty incredible. We've had four teams, four Canadian teams, make it to the finals. None of them have won. And it is now pushing 30 years since a Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup. Interested to know whether that is is of importance to you or whether you don't care or frankly, you might be happy because God knows I would not have wanted to live in a world where we had to deal with leaf fans telling us about their Stanley cup
1: championship. And I'll frankly put the Euler fans in there as well. Oh, now, now that you brought the fans into it and having to hear them talk about it, then yeah, I don't care. But actually, but actually for my personal interest, yeah, I'm kind of upset about it. Hus. Um, I think these were two great stories Um for the Toronto, I mean, they haven't won since '67. This is the core, very similar to the Jets, been together for a long time and haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs. They did win a round, but now you know, as they had their exit meetings today, you wonder if there's going to be changes for them with a the number of key players who are also have one year left on their deals. And for Edmonton, I don't know if this is, you know, because they're a Canadian team, but I mean, McDavid, Dreisaitl was one of the best stories of the season. You have the Hart Trophy, or he's going to win the Hart Trophy. I mean, they put out the nominations. You kind of laugh at them, but they had three guys over a hundred point season, the best power play of all time in terms of efficiency. And you thought, okay, we want to see the great players do great things, and now we don't get to watch the McDavid Dreisidel show in the playoffs. Now, if they played for an American team, um, you know, would I be upset? I'm, I'm not sure, but I think you feel, and you feel, I think, closer to those teams. Like, are you really excited about a possible Seattle Vegas? Conference Final. I'm not. I'd much rather see Edmonton, and in the East, you know, I think Florida, Carolina. I I enjoyed that matchup more. I'm really hoping Dallas wins for the for the better matchup. But yeah, I am a bit upset that there's no more Canadian teams. Um, I don't know. I feel. I think you feel more of a connection connection, and now I think it's easier to not watch.
0: Well, okay. It, even Venice if you like, me- even if you
1: hate Toronto, you're tuning in because you want to see them. You want to see them lose.
0: Listen, it it, it certainly is more fun um, Mm -hmm. with teams that you actually care about one way or the other in them. And I think both of those teams that we just mentioned would fall into that category. But I'll say this, speaking of the Leaf hate. I, I, listen, I, I mean, I've kind of said you know before, and I'm not a major Leaf hater, although I certainly cannot stand going to the arena when the Jets are playing the Leafs and there's all the Leaf fans there. And I've mentioned many, well, for a long time, the Leaf fans as a collective group are probably maybe the most delusional group in all of sports because... You know, outside of right now, and I'm sure they're a little bit quiet, I mean, during the regular season or going into the playoffs, I mean, this is a group that carries themselves as if they are in the midst of a dynasty when they hadn't even won a playoff round since 2004. Um, As far as the players go on the team, though, I mean, I'm a big fan of Austin Matthews. I think Mitch Marner's incredible. I love watching William Bielander play. Um, and listen, I'll, I'll tune in and watch a game uh, with them, and uh, kind of to your point, I think they're better—they're better in and being around at least for a while than not. However, I—I I, I didn't really grasp the level of kind of real anger and hate towards the Leafs until this weekend. And I wanted—I'm glad you reminded me to tell this story, Ream. I'm at the ice game, and we'll get to the ice in a minute. Great weekend of games down at Canada Life Center between the Ice and the Thunderbirds for the Western Hockey League final. And we were in the second intermission of Friday's game. And I was sitting along the lines, I bumped into a bunch of people and just having you know a conversation with a bunch of people that are popping by. By the way, shout out to everyone that came and said, hi at the game, great to see you all there. And I knew that further down the concourse the uh, the Leafs Panthers game was on one of the televisions, and you could see there was a lot of people that had crowded around uh, around the television to watch it. And at the time, it was two to one for Florida. And in the midst of our conversation, all of a sudden, we just heard this collective groan. That uh, and I mean, like I was outside section two or one oh four, and this TV was down in section one oh nine. So we're talking about a long ways down the hall. And you could completely hear, like, oh, what's going on? And I'm like, okay, well, something happened. And it was the Leafs scoring. Like, there was absolutely, like, this wasn't a split crowd. Like, a bunch of people were happy and some people were upset. And and I was taken aback at how almost unanimously negative it was that the Leafs had tied this game. Fast forward to after the game. We roll up to the shark club with a bunch of friends afterwards gonna have a couple beers and watch the end of the game and get into the uh, edmonton vegas game when the florida panthers scored the overtime goal to eliminate the leafs i mean you would honestly have thought that it was a jets overtime goal in the playoffs. <laughs> i mean the place went absolutely nuts and again i get it i mean in my conversation with friends certainly here in the chat there's a lot of people that will consistently hate the Leafs, blah blah blah. You know, there's a few that that like them that are on there. But I mean, this was just a random selection of hockey fans there for a junior hockey game. It wasn't even a jet game. And I, 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 I I'm glad you reminded real because I wanted to bring that up today. And and I'm not sure whether this is just where we are right now or where that was a little bit of a strange coincidence. But both in the game and outside afterwards. I mean, people could not have been more united against the blue and white. And uh, obviously, uh, they all got what they wanted (laughs) because uh, the place got a little more festive after that. They were already
1: happy that the ice won their game and uh, the Leafs were off to the golf course. Yeah, that's right. And I I agree. People watch the watching that game because they hate the Leafs. Uh, It's it's crazy. And. I did enjoy, um, you know, number one Jets fan Jesse Pollock at Maple Leaf Square trolling everyone after the game by himself, chanting "We want Florida." And to be clear, that was Leaf. That's trolling Leaf fans, not trolling, not trolling the actual players. And yeah, I mean, I found it, I found it harder to dislike them the last couple years because they have so many great players and they're fun to watch. However, those players haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs, you know, time and time again. And we'll see if there's changes going forward but um that's a funny one about uh shark what are you shark club
0: yeah the shark everyone is the place went absolutely bananas yes and and with with the level of joy that one would expect from like the home team winning the game maybe there's just a lot of palmaris fans there or something like that i i don't know but it was uh it was quite the scene. It was quite the scene. So um, we'll talk more about this as we get in. Tommy Cazola is going to come in. And we'll also break down the end of the band uh, of the Oilers uh, Oilers scene. I, I should mention the ice right off the bat, Remo, as we get into this because it was a great hockey weekend. Um, awesome turnout for uh, for both games. I mean, five to six thousand, I'd say, for both Friday and Saturday, and uh, a great great start for the ice in the game against Seattle on Friday night. And I and I have to tell you, um, uh, for anyone that was at the game, uh, will have felt this. I mean, this the uh, as nervous a final ninety seconds I can remember, and and I did think it boded well. It bode well for uh, for Seattle going into uh, into Saturday night's game. This game was three nothing after the first period. After the second period, Seattle scored very early in the third to make it three one. Ice held their own, did a very good job of, you know, keeping things uh, out of, you know, letting Daniel Hauser see the pucks. And then they gave up another one, you know, was sort of about, ah, jeez, I'd have to check it out, maybe two minutes, a minute and a half left. Holy smokes, did the T-Birds come on. I mean, there were a couple plays where, you know, it got behind the goaltender, hit the post. You're wondering how in the world did they survive it? But they did. And credit to Winnipeg for doing exactly that. They got the win. Um, they weren't able to get both home wins though. Um, Zach Benson, who continues to uh, shine right now under the spotlight, heading into, uh, hearing his name called all well, in all likelihood in the top 10 of the draft in Nashville, uh, had both goals for the ice, but a big pushback to use our favorite term on this program from Seattle, uh, and from Brad Lambert. And, and I'll tell you what, Jet fans, Brad Lambert looks phenomenal right now, um, you know, I said to the guys I was sitting with watching the Seattle power play right now, and I mean, we'll see about five on five and playing against men. At five on four, that guy could be on the jet power play right now. Um, And again, I don't want to get everybody's hopes up expecting that he's going to be, you know, starting in the top six on uh, day one of the season next year. But I will say this, his time as, you know, a member of the Thunderbirds in the Western Hockey League after what had happened in his draft year and earlier on in the season with the Manitoba Moose, I think has been a great decision by the Jets organization to send him there. He is making the most of it right now. And uh, we're going to get a chance to see these teams play the next three games in Seattle on TSN. And our guy, Dan Robertson, is going to be calling the games uh, game three tomorrow night. So, um, you know, I think good things are happening for Brad Lambert. This is going to be a great series. I'd be stunned if it didn't come back to Winnipeg for game six and potentially game seven. Um, would have loved to have had the ice up to nothing, but one-one still great start to the series and uh, a lot of great hockey at the, at the arena at Canada Life Center. And fingers are crossed, they can keep the ice in for a little more and uh, see these teams go at it again with the championship on the line when the series returns.
1: Yeah, awesome to see. Great, I think it was uh, at least five thousand at the games. Uh, you know, each on the weekend, Canada Life Center. Uh, Brad Lambert. These were his numbers. Has uh, in the regular season, 38 points in 26 games, and in the playoffs, just hitting another level here in terms of points per game, 24 points in 14 games, and they did hit up that what joint airplane with a divider, you know, so they're not mingling and <laughs> right. and uh, the ice are back. practicing backer
0: side to side. We still need to find out about how
1: they did. That. I think it's I think front to front to back and maybe separate bathrooms, but. Uh, Ice are practicing today at three. Uh, the game's tomorrow. Kind of cool on TSN and uh, Dan Robertson, uh, given the call for that one. So uh, we'll be tuning in. There is a lot of hockey, as you said, NHL, Canada also playing at the Worlds this morning against Slovakia. So, but uh, how about the Ice as their quest continues? And I agree, I think this will go six, potentially seven. So you might have to clear your calendars next weekend or this weekend, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the games actually would be Monday and Tuesday for this schedule, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Sunday and, and Monday. Oh, Sunday and Monday. Okay. Excellent. So, uh, well, a hey, May long weekend for people that are kicking around the, uh, kicking around the city. It'll be, uh, hopefully be some great hockey for uh, us to watch and, tell you what, I don't think there was anyone that was at those games that didn't enjoy themselves and wouldn't be planning on coming back for a game six or game seven. So we could be seeing even bigger crowds, especially now with a little bit of lead time. Um, And, and, and particularly if the team split the first two games in Seattle. So you get to a two, two situation where, you know, you're guaranteed the game on Sunday. Uh, Although the fact that it is may long weekend may take a little bit of a hit. And Hey, just while we're talking about junior hockey, um, the Centennial Cups been continue, continues on tonight. And a big shout out to the Portage Terriers, who uh, won that game Friday night in the Battle of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Portage, the host team, taking out the Turnbull Cup champion Steinbeck Pistons, 4-2. to two. Steinbeck came back with a win last night. They lost their first game in overtime, so Steinbeck has four points right now in three games and they're going to need to beat a very very good battlefords team representing the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League team tomorrow night. Now the one thing that might help the Pistons is the fact that Battleford plays the Portage Terriers tonight and they'll be playing again the second night of back to backs. I believe each team gets one day off. This happens to be the Pistons day off and you know Paul Dick will be getting that team ready uh, for uh, for a huge game playing for their tournament lives tomorrow. Um, and all in all, Remo, I mean, I've speak, spoken with a few people out there, great crowds out in Portage right now, and people really, really impressed with the level of uh, hockey at this junior age championship right now. So, and I know that junior hockey, with everything else going on, with two pro teams here in Winnipeg, maybe doesn't get the ink or the uh, the oxygen that maybe it deserves at times. Um, But we had a great preview of that last week with Eric Swar from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. They're very excited about the chances of both of their teams. Obviously, we've talked quite a bit about the ice as of late on their playoff run right now. The pros have gone home, but right now in both Winnipeg and in Portage, there's incredible options for hockey fans to go out and see it live.
1: Yeah, full slate of games uh, all day us there at Portage La Prairie, so... Uh, pretty awesome tournament. We you know got some great insight on it uh, last week with Eric Soar from the MJHL. So, uh, Portage is in action tonight, seven thirty against Battlefords, and we've already got one game in the book. So yeah, if I was hanging out there, you know eleven, nice eleven thirty a.m. start. Uh, it was Ottawa winning over Yarmouth.
0: Uh, so. Yeah, there's there's eleven thirty games, three thirty games, and seven thirty games every day. And uh, these next two nights of the last couple of days, I believe, of the round robin. Uh, and one of the Manitoba teams is playing at 7.30 every night, whether it's Steinbach or whether it's Portage, and again, the two teams had played head-to-head last Friday, heading into the weekend. Um, so we've got lots more to get to, and we will tease again trade talk for the Winnipeg Jets. The athletic list is out for the top eight guys on their offseason trade board of Winnipeg, and we'll maybe touch on that a little bit with Jeff Hamilton, but we'll go through it in more detail a little bit later on in the program. We are going to head to Edmonton right away. Uh, but as I mentioned, Goldeye's one and three, or one and two after opening the series in Gary. They're off to Fargo tomorrow. But opening day is Friday, folks. Uh, cannot wait for the first game of the season. Hopefully, we get some great weather for it to be a hell of a way to start off the weekend and another great summer down at Shaw Park. Uh, we'll do a check in with Andrew Collier on Wednesday setting the stage for the weekend, but we can tell you tickets are on sale right now. Get them at gold fireworks after the game. They don't do that always, but uh, they'll be ready. And I can tell you the craft beer corner is going to be good to go. The, uh, the gold Eyes grand slam, which that Andrew told us about last time, you might need to get a big crew if you want to try that. But um, It's all systems go for baseball season here in Manitoba. You can check out more on the team at goldeyes.com, season tickets, mini packs, all that, and individual tickets. The season starts on Friday, and we will uh, look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Our friends at Modern Men Barbershops are now open with eight locations in Winnipeg, including their two newest locations on either Pemina Highway or Plessy Road. Modern Man Barbershops over a variety offer a variety of grooming services including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services and more. Book your look and make an appointment online at modernmanbarber.com and give them a follow on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. So with this glorious weather, people are thinking summer right now, and why not make 2023 the year you take the plunge? Visit Aquatech at aqua-tech.ca. To design your own custom pool their team can provide on-the-spot pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you and uh whole home reno started aqua tech as well with thousands of renovations let them upgrade any space in your home aqua tech is ready to make your reno dreams a reality learn more about design pricing and financing options today at aqua-tech.ca Well, spring is 100% here, and that means a couple things for Manitobans. One, it's time to get your motorcycles out and let the good times roll. And that grass is growing, and it's going to need to be cut. If you need a motorcycle battery, Donnie and his crew at Manitoba Battery can get you hooked up with the right fit for you at the best price in town. And if you need a lawn tractor battery... You can get one with 280 cranking amps for 42 bucks. When you return your core, that same battery's $30 more at the big box stores. And don't forget Manitoba batteries, not only the best price, but they're certainly the most convenient. When you spend more than 60 bucks, they'll bring it right to your door anywhere in Winnipeg for free to learn more, find them online at manitobabattery.com or pop down and see them at 1026 Logan Avenue. And, uh, well, they poured one out for the Oilers last night in Edmonton, and uh, we'll give a big cheers to our next guest, Tommy Gazzola, with Canada's favourite Canadian whiskey. Canadian club, the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and WST. Of course, Bomber Training Camp going on right now. And it won't be long before Dusty's coming to Winnipeg to call games. And we're at the Princess Auto Tailgate Zone, enjoying a little Canadian club and ginger ale. Before, CC and Ginger, now available, 473 milliliter cans at Manitoba Liquor Marts and at beer vendors around the city. All right, let's head out to Edmonton right now. We knew the Leafs were done but there were a lot of people hoping that the Oilers would survive at least to a Game 7. It didn't happen last night. And uh, Tom Gazzola joins us now. Tommy, uh, you know, a, a fun run, uh, but certainly that ended a lot earlier than most people in Northern Alberta were expecting.
2: Yeah, Huss, uh, thanks for having me, first of all, and uh, good to be back on. And, Great to see you, buddy. Hey, it's, uh, it is disappointing for Oil Country and the Oilers faithful. Absolutely, but... You know, they, they lost to a really good team. They lost to the best team in the Western Conference, one of their rivals, and uh, the others were banged up like every team was in the postseason or generally is, and if you're not, obviously something's wrong uh, with the way you're playing. And a lot of disappointment on the postgame show is is how I would describe it. Um, we did have a few of the the extremes saying, you got to trade one of those guys, but listen... Uh, a couple of things did the Oilers in in the series. The five-on-five five play wasn't good enough. Uh, the injuries, I, we're going to find out about tomorrow when they have their last availability of the season. And you got to hand it to Bruce Cassidy and the Golden Knights. He put in a, a defensive system that really stymied the Oilers' offense at even strength, five-on-five five in particular, kept them to the outside. And then when the Golden Knights had their opportunities, they struck. And there are there a couple of... Things with the Oilers, uh, bad habits that kind of crept back into their game. We saw them get exposed in the defensive zone, guys getting crossed up. Uh, I think of the first Marchessault goal in the second period last night, Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins not picking up Marchessault, recognizing too late that he had snuck down there, and uh, Barbashev made a great redirection, hoping that a guy like Marchessault would be in front, and sure enough, uh, that play connected. So... There were some issues for the Oilers, uh, some discipline issues in game five, and then a little bit, uh, uh, I think of Matthias Eckholm's penalty last night where he didn't need to take that boarding penalty on, on Zach Whitecloud. So the Oilers kind of did themselves in in some regard, and a lot of people debating about the goaltending, a lot of people wondering if Jay Woodcroft has been outcoached. Maybe, but uh, it, was, it was a tight battle between really good teams, and uh, the Golden Knights prevailed.
0: You know, when we do the autopsy of this series, Tommy, from the weekend, um, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the Oiler power play was historically good um, for the first four games, but it was a couple of those penalties you mentioned, particularly that careless high stick from Janmark that created the five-on-three that I thought started the undoing of the the Edmonton Oilers. And it's great to be prolific on your power play, but you got to be able to kill a few too. And they did not do a good enough job on the weekend of that, did they?
2: Has not just on the weekend, but all season long. The penalty kill for the Oilers was bad uh, out of the gate. And it, it kind of hovered in the 25, 26 range and then put together a nice stretch in March and, and into April, where, you know, I think it went seven games without allowing a goal on the PK. And then uh, LA was able to crack it, the Golden Knights were able to crack it and uh, the Oilers have some flaws, and one of those things was the penalty kill. And, yeah, first of all, stay out of the box. Don't take stupid penalties. Uh, That was a careless high stick from Yanmark. It was a bad call uh, right before that on Philip Broberg where it was Jack Eichel that was holding on to Philip Broberg's stick, and there was a ref right there watching it. He was, you know, five feet away. He didn't call it, and then you had Steve Kazari 80 feet away outside the blue line, uh, giving the veteran Eichel the benefit of the doubt, saying that it was a hold. But that was the sequence that I think really did the Oilers in, in game five and, and kind of led to their demise in game six as well, because, you know, they had the gusto. They were going to have their best game. They're going to stay alive, backs against the wall, all of those cliches. But uh, as soon as the doubt crept in, in the second period last night, uh, they they were done very much. So like they were in game five as well, where, uh, careless use of the stick led to penalties uh then you know you flash forward to yesterday matthias at home, barry Zach whitecloud like I mentioned and uh you know they couldn't they couldn't handle the emotional uh swings in the games too uh whenever they would score uh, it seemed like you know sometimes even la did it they would respond right back and then the golden Knights did that a whole bunch in this series so those are tough lessons and it should harden them in theory but uh, this is a team that has suffered some tough losses in the postseason. Think back to that series against Winnipeg where they got swept. And uh, it also kind of highlights how tough it is to win in the NHL, especially in the postseason. But uh, opportunity missed for sure. I think they'll be back next year. They're going to have some some different faces in the lineup, certainly. But uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. But the Orders have them to blame as much as others. So a lot of people want to blame the refs. Hus. Oh, but it wasn't always just the refs.
0: Yeah, no. Um, listen, this Vegas team is damn good. Yep, they are built for the playoffs. Uh, some would say they maybe have a unique advantage because of the <laughs> salary cap that they're rocking with right now—ninety-six now. mil, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and again, listen, I—I I don't. Mark Stone had back surgery. I mean, this wasn't kind of. This wasn't a straight Kucherov move, but listen, they are getting the benefits of the timing of it. So do that with what you will. The The interesting thing about this, you know, kind of from a jet standpoint watching this series is that in the five game series against Vegas, the Jets power play actually popped. I mean, they got a lucky one that added to it, but I mean, I think the number was like 41 or 42%, which certainly in the second half of the season was not, um, what you would think that the Winnipeg Jets were going to be getting on the power play. But at five-on-five, especially after midway point of the second game, Tom, uh, Vegas really controlled the five-on-five play. I was not thinking that they would be able to have that same sort of advantage at five-on-five against a team that has the likes of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel. And listen, they did so much damage on the power play early on in the series, I think it hid the fact of how effective Vegas was at five on five. But I mean, hockey is a five on five game. You're going to get calls either way. And you listen, if you're great on the power play, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But you can't just rely on the man advantage to win. And uh, I, I would imagine on your post game show. And in the aftermath of this, the big question is like, what happened to the Oilers when they were playing at even strength? Because, as far as the talent goes, they have the advantage at least
2: whenever those guys are on the ice. When they won those games 2-4, uh, and four, they were excellent 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, they were physical. They hounded the Golden Knights' defense. They won puck battles. They won races to pucks, Huss. And uh, they were able to generate power play opportunities because the Golden Knights had to chase the orders and they were the ones taking penalties in the games that they lost. That wasn't the case necessarily, um, and we. Saw, and I think you know it's it's punctuated by games five and six, where Edmonton was kept to the perimeter. Edmonton was losing the races. Edmonton was losing the puck battles, and the Gold Knights. You could say that they are hungrier. Maybe some of the orders were dinged up. You think of Evander Kane. He didn't have a particularly uh, potent offensive postseason he had a he was banged up he's hurt uh we know that zach hyman same thing uh lower body charlie horse groin we're going to find out for sure maybe that affected them five on five as well but the system that bruce cassidy implemented going away from the swarm that you know pete DeBoer had in the defensive zone going to more of a, a zone and keeping the guys to the perimeter um it worked it worked against Everton especially in games five and six. Um, And it also, it it had the Oilers more stagnant as well. So the hunger, the system, Oilers injuries, uh, those all factored into the five-on-five play. But Edmonton did have moments in in games two and four where it took the play, created uh, the momentum, um, you know, set the pace of the game, and it was effective against the Golden Knights. The unfortunate thing Mm -hmm. for an Oilers' point of view is they didn't do that consistently and, and Vegas was able to establish its game. Or, like we saw last night, after a good first period from the Oilers, the Golden Knights come out and I, I thought that they played an immaculate second period. And uh, they, just, they, they were able to stem and turn the tide and, and kudos to them because they do have three really good lines and then even their fourth line, a couple of bangers and crashers on there. Will Carrier has been a good vet for a long time. They inserted Teddy Bluger in the last couple of games, and Keegan Colasar was a physical menace, dirty or clean. He was a physical menace, and uh, it worked. Uh, it really did work. And then, you know, a save here, a save there would have gone a long way. I don't think that it would have mattered if Jack Campbell got the start, just the way the Golden Knights played against the Oilers. Uh, I think he would have let in a few, uh, regardless of uh, if it was him or Stuart Skinner between.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh I was going to ask you about the goaltending. I mean, certainly, you know, compared to, you know, from the difference between Winnipeg and some of these other teams, they might not have, you know, the McDavid or Dreisaitl, but their franchise player is their goaltender. And, I mean, I think everyone would have loved to have seen Connor make one more save that maybe would have changed that series that didn't happen. But I have to admit, I mean, even with the season that Stuart Skinner had, I still had questions as to how that goaltending would last throughout... a two-month run if you're going to win the Stanley Cup yeah and I think we got that answer and it is crazy I mean the play of Skinner I think in a lot of ways masked at least the whiff in year one of that contract that gave Jack Campbell and it's very problematic going forward uh, Tom I mean if Jack Campbell is not going to be able to be a guy that you can play consistently and rely on that is a major issue having that but $5 million price tag on him for another four seasons. Yeah. Um where do you think things are goaltending wise going into this offseason? I mean, I guess both guys are signed. They signed Stuart yep. Steiner to an extension. He's less money, but he would be the guy uh but is that going to be part of it that has to be reevaluated and maybe see whether they can figure something else out, although I'm sure they'd love to do it, but I don't think you're going to see many takers for uh, that Jack Campbell deal.
2: No, uh, I think Skinner, Campbell are your goalies for the next couple of years. And uh, I, when you combine the two, I think they come in around 8 million, husks, which is it, it, it's tolerable for, for two goalies, especially if they're kind of splitting the duties. We know Skinner is going to be the guy. Uh, we'll see how he, he responds next season. But this is something we talked about on the postgame show last night is, hey, he's a rookie. He's a rookie. Like He's up for the Calder, That's great. He was an all-star. You could talk about the lack of depth in goaltending in the Pacific Division. That's understandable. But bottom line was he was an all-star this year. Uh, because of him, the Oilers were able to put themselves into the position that they wound up with. And that was second in the division, chasing first against the Golden Knights. Uh, Jack Campbell had a really good January. He did. And then his game kind of tapered uh, off uh, again. And, I mean, the guy switched his goalie gear brands twice this season. That's a, unheard of. Like, you're talking to any former goalie, Joaquin Gage is a is a resource we hear and use uh, here in Edmonton a lot, and we hear from a lot. And he's like, that's insane to switch from using Vaughn to Brian's midseason, rebuilding your entire game, uh, <laughs> making Stuart Skinner play a full month, basically, while you figure it out is crazy and then in the playoffs he switched to bauer pads like huss I, I noticed it. i saw him last week and i was like jack uh, bauer now and he's like yeah i've used them before they feel a little bit similar to my Vaughn pads that i use forever and uh you know we'll see how it goes and i'm like okay it's the playoffs whatever works i know Stuart skinner's getting the starts but uh that's crazy the bottom line though uh, whatever pads he's using next year He's got to be better. His averages were bad. His win-loss record was good, but he had a good team in front of him mostly. And, um, you know, Stuart Skinner, he he learned some hard lessons in the postseason. He was spotty at times in the postseason. But having said that, Huss, Stuart Skinner was hung out to dry a lot by the Oilers, not just the defense, but the forwards as well, and defending as a five-man unit. Was a mega issue for the Oilers for the first three months of the season. It got better, but uh, as the competition improved and, and got stiffer, especially in the playoffs, and tendencies were picked up, and scouting reports came in from the Kings and the Golden Knights on on how you can crack the Oilers defensively. You know those those bad habits, uh, those issues popped up again. And regardless if it was Skinner or Campbell between the pipes, uh, they were facing ten bell chances, and you know. As we watch in the NHL, when you've got grade-A scoring opportunities and you're as skilled as these guys in the National Hockey League, a lot of times you're going to score. Whether you're Connor Hellebuck, Jack Campbell, or Stuart Skinner, uh, you can't give up those types of opportunities.
0: I imagine there was quite a bit of discussion on the post-game show as to uh, where Ryan Nugent and Hopkins went in this series. I mean, Nugent had that incredible triple-digit point season. What, did he have two points in the series or in the
2: playoffs? Uh, he had 11 points in the, in the playoffs. Huss, uh, not surprisingly, most of those came on the power play on that historic <laughs> 40, you know, whatever, 45% power play that it finished up at after uh, 12 games. Yeah, he, he, he was a passenger on too many nights. He really was. And where Nugent Hopkins is at his best is when he's moving his feet. Uh, Matt Cassian, who's our analyst uh, at 1260, calls it playing with intentionality. Nugent Hopkins didn't do that enough in the playoffs. Now, in game four, where he scored his first goal of the postseason, he had a big night, multi-point game. He was moving his feet. His butt was in gear, and that looked like more of the Nugent Hopkins that we saw pick up 104 points in the regular season. I know a lot of those points were on the power play. Huss, those are points regardless if they're a secondary assist or not. He made some great plays this year. He worked his tail off to get to 100 points. And uh, in the postseason, it just it wasn't there. And I thought, personally, watching him in the first round against a, a tough, feisty uh, LA Kings team that was built to face the Edmonton Oilers and defeat the Edmonton Oilers, you knew Todd McClellan was going to start scheming for the Oilers as soon as they lost Game 7 in Round 1 last year. And the order still got the better of uh, L.A., but Nugent Hopkins, uh, I thought that was a series that you know he he, a had a lot of tough nights and B maybe wasn't suited to his style of game. And as soon as they got to Vegas, I thought, okay, there's going to be more run and gun. This is where Nugent Hopkins might have a little bit more room to wheel and deal. Uh, most nights that wasn't the case. He he wasn't uh, he wasn't there. He wasn't good enough, and he wasn't the only one too. There were some others that were passengers that. Uh, they could have used more from, but yeah, Eugene Hopkins, a tough postseason. And it's been weird because he's kind of Jekyll and Hyde in the playoffs. Last year, pretty good in the postseason. The year before, not so much. Uh, the bubble year, not so much. Uh, so it's, it's been frustrating, and, and he's been called out by a lot of people among the uh, Oilers faithful.
0: Well, he's signed until the end of the 29 season. Zach Hyman signed till the end of the 28 season. You wish we were talking about Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel being signed that long. Of course, they're not. McDavid has three more years on his $12.5 million contract, and Dreisaitl has two more on the incredible bargain that he's providing that team at eight and a half. Um, These guys will be back. I mean, obviously, I don't think there's any question. But, I mean, I just want to get your sense of the urgency for the organization to make something happen in the next two years, while they have assurances and guarantees, they have both of these players because to be honest, it to have two superstars like that, arguably the top two players in the league on the same team is a luxury that, I mean, does not come around very often to say the least.
2: Yeah. Um, well understood within the organization. They know that, uh, Uh, There's a fire lit under them uh, from ownership to get this done. The fan base certainly expects it. That's why this loss stings, because as soon as Colorado went down, as soon as Boston went down, people's eyes just lit up here. And I'm sure people in Vegas, same thing. Dallas, same thing. I mean, you saw a path to the Stanley Cup final, potentially hoisting the cup as well. Um, Those guys will... They'll sign here. They'll they'll resign. It'll be for more money, obviously. The cap should be up by then. Uh, whoever the GM at the time is, you know, there's already some rumblings about Steve Steos, who was brought in as a special advisor in the offseason, and he's kind of pegged as the next guy. That'll be his issue, obviously, or whoever does take over for Ken Holland, who's got one year left on his contract. But you have Nugent Hopkins in his prime. You have Hyman in his prime. You have Kane in his prime. Uh, you've got Matthias at home for a couple more years. You've got Darnell Nurse in his prime. Uh, you've got Cody Cece in his prime. You've got uh, a burgeoning goalie uh, in Stuart Skinner that you hope takes the next step to to put himself into the upper echelon. So the next couple of years are absolutely crucial. Uh, there is another wave of prospects coming up. We're going to see Dylan Holloway be a full-timer next year. We're going to see maybe a Raphael Lavoie get a look. Uh, they have a a really skilled right winger and Xavier Borgo who just played his first AHL season. So the time is now. Everybody recognizes it. And uh, like the Colorados of the world, like uh, Pittsburgh was years ago, like Chicago was a few years ago, uh, they recognize and understand that they got to get something done. But it, it can't happen every year. It's, that's how good this league is. Uh, but they better be back. They better be back with a vengeance next season. I think they will be knowing the guys and, and talking to them and getting their, um, their grasp of the situation. But uh, yeah, it's an opportunity missed, unfortunately. And it also highlights how tough it is to win in this league, no matter what.
0: Well, and I'll say this while, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, I mean, listen, there's going to be an interesting off season in Edmonton. The one here in Winnipeg might be the most explosive and fascinating in the entire league. And then of course the other canadian team that got bounced on the weekend the toronto maple leafs Mm -hmm. i I mean this story with matthews and again i haven't heard what matthews had to say today he's going to be speaking a little later on but i mean it's kind of come out that he's got a full no move on his contract beginning on the first of july so you're gonna be figuring out whether it's kyle dubas making these decisions and then figuring out whether they're going to be able to keep that player long term. Because if not, the minute you get to July 1, he can just play it out, head straight to free agency, and uh, call his own shot. And uh, that's going to take... There was already a lot of angst in Toronto to begin with around that team that has basically been hanging around for a number of decades. But holy smokes, if that goes into Matthews playing out his contract next year, you can only imagine what the talking heads will have for that. Yeah.
2: It's it's I know us in Western Canada like to look at Toronto and kind of have a chuckle, but they do have a pickle on their hands. They really do. And if you were to say, hey Tom, would you bet on uh Austin Matthews leaving or Connor McDavid leaving, I'd say it's likelier that Austin Matthews is the guy that leaves. He's an American guy. Toronto's a tough market. Um you know, I know that people joked about Connor McDavid wanting to bolt for Toronto. I think if if he would hypothetically do that, I mean, he's putting himself into a tougher situation. He's best friends with Leon Dreisaitl. He's best friends with Darnell Nurse. They recognize that they have something here potentially special. They're getting some results. They have won some series in recent years. Uh, there is a belief within the group, and especially after last season, Huss, uh, I was told that McDavid and Dreisaitl, whatever question marks that they had about the organization and the direction of the team last year's run restored their faith. And I think this year, even though they struck out in the second round, uh, I don't think it's been diminished. I think that they understand that they, they could do something and make some noise and potentially uh, turn it into a Stanley cup. If these guys want to take off and leave in the middle of their careers, that tells us a, that Stanley cup isn't their priority and, and running for the money is. Uh, I don't get the sense that that is the case from these two. Um, and basically, if one of them were to leave, you're starting all over again. Uh, how many situations can you just plop a what will be a $15 million player and just say, yeah, you're going to just join a, a superstar stack team that's ready to contend? That doesn't happen in, in this NHL. So they know that the situation, if they truly want to win, is here. And uh, they're going to be provided with all the the weapons necessary around them to make it happen.
0: You know, just uh, on that Matthews topic, I'm just getting this in from uh, from Remo here. So Austin Matthews did speak today. He said, "My intention is to be here, and sees a long term future, and would like to sign an extension before next season." So, the fact that he said that publicly, I presume he said it privately. Know, whether they get that deal done and they announce it on the 1st of July, I mean, I think to go move forward, they need to have that assurance yeah. that they're not going to get left holding the bag. And that will mean that uh, he won't be on the Athletics trade bait board along with half of the members of the Winnipeg Jets, it seems right, right now. Hey, Tommy, before we go, uh, <laughs> you've seen a lot of the Seattle Kraken this year being in the Pacific Division. How surprised are you that they are where they are right now? And uh, what do you think about this Game 7 tonight between the Kraken in their second year and the Dallas Stars? Buckle up
2: for tonight because that was a great Game 6 that they played. They schooled the Stars. And it's been funny watching those two teams go back and forth. The Kraken, I think, like many, I I didn't think would have an outstanding year like they did. I didn't think that they would make the playoffs. I thought that they would be more competitive. I remember I didn't when they I not think they came. beat the Avs in seven. No. <laughs> I, and uh, like us, we know that the Avs weren't the same Avs from the year before. They had some turmoil with Nachushkin in the middle of the playoff. That's <laughs> brutal. That sucks. And uh, you lose, you don't even have your captain all season. So they took advantage of a good situation. But I remember the first preseason game the Oilers played against them when the Kraken came to town. And I was just looking down the roster and I was like, there aren't any bad players on this team. Like it's all pretty good players. There's no superstars. Maybe Maddie Beniers becomes one, but like everybody's pretty damn good and they work hard and they've clearly bought into Dave Haxtall's system. And, uh, they've had the goaltending be adequate, even though you look at like Martin Jones and Philip Grubauer and you're like, uh, not great, but good enough. And, uh, so I'm very surprised that they are where they are, and it's credit to them because they hustle for everything they get. They pour every ounce they can into making sure that uh, nothing's left in the tank at the end of the night. Um, so this is a great experience for them. Do I think that they upset the Dallas Stars tonight. No, but a uh, hell of a run, and it's been fun to watch them and good on them. Will they be back next year? Probably, because every time you discount them, I remember they started a 7 or 8 game, road trip in Edmonton and the Oilers had just crushed them in Seattle a couple nights prior and they went up they won like eight of the next eight. they won every game on that road trip they went nine and
0: oh I think was the first time in NHL history a team had actually done that
2: and it started in Edmonton and I'm like what the heck just happened (laughs) and they went into Boston it was like one of the few regulation losses the Bruins had on home ice and uh anytime you discount them they they kind of you know show you by sticking their nose up at you and say, oh, yeah, watch me, and good on them. They're they're feisty, they're plucky, and uh, they deserve all the credit in the world. But uh, it might end tonight, that Cinderella run. If I'm wrong, so be it.
0: Tommy, great having you on the program, pal, and great job. I always enjoyed tuning in after the games and see what was happening in Edmonton with uh, the callers and uh, (laughs) everything else. Um, Enjoy a few days off after a real busy playoff run, and uh, hopefully maybe you'll have a little bit more time to jump on with us this summer. Uh, We'll definitely be hitting you up.
2: Hey, CFL right around the corner, baby. I'm looking forward to covering uh, the Elks in the league, and uh, anytime you want me, Hus, uh, always happy to hop on.
0: Hey, this, like, What will the celebration be like for that home win?
2: <laughs> um, it'll almost be like uh, like, uh,
0: like the Leafs winning the Cups in 67. It's been yeah, that long?
2: Yeah, well, there's going to be riots in the street. I think it'll be one of those ones uh, where it's like, and everyone rejoiced and they're like, yay. Uh, but it'll be a relief. I mean, October twelfth, 2019, way too long ago for a home win for the green and gold.
0: Hey, buddy. Have a great one. Say hi to Dusty. We'll uh, catch up soon. And uh, I imagine for folks that do want a little bit more on the Oilers finishing up the season, I'm sure you guys will have a few season enders for the Oil stream over the course of this week as well.
2: We will, Hass. We uh, we always do. So uh, looking forward to wrapping up this season and then getting going with football.
0: Take it easy, pal. Enjoy the PGA as well this week. We got a major to talk about in a couple of days. Good stuff. There's Tom Gazola, um, great friend of the program. He does the Oil Stream with uh, my pal Dustin Nielsen. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. And uh, yeah, pre and post for Oilers and Elks over on TSN 1260. We're gonna bring it back local with Jeff Hamilton for the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, but before we do that, hey, if you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products and groceries, pop by one of seven Vita Health Fresh Market stores or online at myvita.ca. When you order online, you can now choose same day local delivery. Just place your order at myvita before 11 a.m. and you'll get your order that day orders placed after 11am will be delivered the next day and of course when you shop at Vita Health you're supporting a great local company family owned and operated since 1936 and carrying Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products too with barbecue season here get on the uh, delicious Vita Market grass-fed bison and beef steaks and uh if you need a little help digesting things, check out the Health First Prime Zyme Digestive Enzymes available right now at Vita Health Fresh Market, seven Winnipeg locations, and online at myvita.ca. How'd the uh, fence and the garage weather the winter, folks? Uh, well, if you got some issues in those departments, talk to our friends at Wallace & Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist, serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. We've got all sorts of fences Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. And if it's time to replace your garage door, Wallace & Wallace has Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Easiest way to get at them is to give them a buzz at 204-452-2700. They can make an arrangement to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them online at wallacefences.com or wallacedoors.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Uh, and with the change of the seasons, folks, how's the closet looking? Guys, if you need to up your menswear game heading into spring and summer, do it over at F Apparel at 190 Smith Street downtown. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. Got a 15% discount for wedding parties. And, of course, a free custom shirt and tie for any 2023 high school grads purchasing a new suit. 190 Smith Street downtown is where you can find F Apparel. Find out more or make an appointment online at F, that's E-P-H-apparel.com. And I know one place that was very busy this weekend, and it was any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs because the weather was gorgeous. They were getting up to, what, 29 today, apparently? Great time to pop down. Check out those new summer blizzard uh, flavors. Maybe pick up a few dilly bars or buster bars for the freezer. And, uh, of course, if you're hungry, check out those stack burgers as well. Four locations, DQ Northgate, Polo Park, St. Anne's, and DQ Niverville. Hit them up online at DQ Manitoba if you need a uh, ice cream cake or blizzard cake for an upcoming party or event. All right, let's... uh, Welcome in the hammer, back on the bomber beat and back at training camp. Uh, Jeff, what's going on, buddy? How are you?
3: Not too bad, Huss. Feeling okay. Football season. Summer came early. We just decided to skip spring. Got a bit of crappy weeks there, and now we're we're feel like we're cruising into summer. So how can I complain?
0: No doubt about that. I mean, what a, I was talking to Andrew Collier about this, and I mean we're hoping this carries through till uh, the Goldeyes home opener on Friday. But oh I mean the fish had never had weather like this pretty much in their existence for the opening of their camp, and uh, I imagine it almost sort of felt like mid season on the weekend when Bomber Camp got going.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was piping hot. I mean, I, I feel like the gold eyes are just going to get the bad luck of May long weekend as we always get poured on May long weekend, but hopefully mother nature has different plans. But yeah, it was certainly nice to see, I mean, even last week, right. I mean, for rookie camp when they got out on the field on Wednesday, I mean, those three days were piping hot. I mean, I, I, I rode my bike to, bike to the, to the practices I covered. And, uh, you know, I've never done that before. Definitely got some sun in the stands and, uh, yeah, it definitely feels like uh, mid-season form, and the Bombers don't look too far off. Given how many bodies they have back this season, it's uh, it kind of it kind of made for one of the bo- the more boring uh, rookie camps, but certainly an exciting training camp as the as the boys get back on the field and get ready to uh, to I guess I guess this season's being dubbed as unfinished business. Um, that seems to be the uh, that seems to be the biggest takeaway. Obviously, after last uh, after last season's disappointing loss to Toronto in the Great Cup, but uh, certainly a lot of familiar faces, and no reason to think that this team shouldn't be, you know, on the precipice of another of another great year. Well,
0: uh, uh, just I looked this up while you were talking there. I mean, for folks that are thinking about going out to Bomber Camp or the Gold Eyes on Friday in the weekend, check out this week: sunny and twenty nine today, sunny twenty six tomorrow. 29 and sunny with a bit of cloud on wednesday a little cooler thursday friday but 22 and 21 and sunny and then the weekend may long weekend the cursed weekend 28 and sunny on saturday and let's 30 go. and sunny on sunday so let's uh, go smile hey, you know how what? can you not smile towards after that? that winter and the early part of what was supposed to be spring We've definitely, uh, we've definitely earned it. So uh, a great opportunity to get out and see the boys of
3: summer back. Whether you're a football or f- baseball fan or both, um, start inviting it, some Jets prospects down to the city, get making them fall in love in, into the city. This is you like what it's like in May? Is... Come check it out in July and August and get them out of here before the, by the end <laughs> exactly. of the May long weekend. Bring, out your <laughs> Bring your agent. Bring your agent.
0: As far as camp goes, uh, you know, obviously they had the rookie camp and, uh, you know, a number of players kind of came in. Some made it through. Obviously, Michael O'Shea Jr. was not part of the team that uh, was at the main camp. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, when things got going, uh, because of what you'd alluded to, I mean, how similar this team is personnel-wise, at least of the main players, um, was it different at all this year? um, Knowing how far ahead they probably are as a team than maybe they would have been in seasons past or Michael Shea has a plan. This is how we start the season. This is what we do on day one. This is what we do
3: on day two. And uh, just following the script that he has for his team. I think it's much of the same script of being, you know, working on the same script, right? Improving on the same script. As far as momentum goes, I mean, if you look at last year's camp, I mean, they were coming up back-to-back titles. I mean, yes, there was the 2020 season that was cancelled, but they were still back-to-back championships. So, uh, and the fact that, you know, the fact that they they lost last year, so to go three in a row, I think, you know, the, the mood was, I think, early on, right? I mean, how many of these guys were thinking about that loss leading up to this camp? Well, probably not a whole bunch of them, but um certainly were asked about it and talked and spoke about you know some of that lingering taste in their mouth so you know maybe there's a little bit of added emphasis a little bit of added importance to it but as far as like game plan goes it's been much of the same thing really since since Mike O'Shea has been on the scene right I mean you, you take what you learn from year to year you know obviously he's been here now for for years um start of his own you know three-year deal ultimately and so uh, another three year deal so like for him I mean it's just it's just it's just fine-tuning some of the some of the things that you learn from previous years as I keep saying you know and, and what I mean by that is injuries right how you deal with injuries how you deal with with uh, load management for veteran players like you know you have Big Hill not taking as many reps on day one Big Hill doesn't need to go balls to the wall on Sunday of opening camp right I mean so I think you you, you try to do is you blend a little bit of the because what you're trying to get out of training camp is healthy. I mean that's really what it is, right? You I mean the last thing you need is is pushing guys too hard. I mean obviously the guys that are going to be competing for spots they're going to be going all out on you know every opportunity they have. You don't need some of your some of your veterans, a lot of whom are you know getting up there in age to to to, to, to kind of go you know from zero to sixty on day one. We know with training camps a lot of hamstring injuries occur. We notice we definitely got a, a healthy dose of Achilles. Uh, injuries last year I don't know if we're going to see much of that this season or you hope that you hope the training staffs have learned from that but I think everybody is just eager to get back on the field but it's the responsibility of the training staffs the coaching staffs to ensure that um, you know they're doing so safely and and doing so in a way that's that's building on you know towards the regular season because as important it is to get fine-tuned in uh, training camp, I mean, you can look at this roster. There really is no, I mean, there might be some surprises. Let's not rule that out. Let, let's not uh, count any, but any of the newcomers out. You know, we might have the new DeAndre Alford or the new Dietrich Nichols in the secondary. And, you know, so you don't want to, you know, just give the, give the starting positions to incumbents, but there really isn't a lot of battles, right? And so I think that's what makes it a little bit easier on the Bombers is that you're not really looking for, for chemistry, whether that's in the secondary, whether that's among receivers, whether that's amongst the the O line or D line, you already have that built-in chemistry. So you you get to you you literally hit the ground running. A lot of these guys are best friends too, so they've spent a lot of their off season together, working out together, watching tape together. So you know it really is uh, you know a prime position for Mike O'Shea and company for training camp because you have not only a lot of guys returning, but you have a leadership core that you can rely on. You have pretty much everything you can ro- rely on so that you can execute. Your plan and that's uh that's obviously what we'll see here through the next three weeks
0: hammer uh, and again folks should check out the winnipeg free press because jeff's got a pretty in-depth um, training camp preview for the event that of course started yesterday but focusing on the offense right now um you know you'll lose greg Ellingson, but you add kenny lawler everyone else is pretty much back i mean um i guess the you know, when you look at Michael Couture, his loss uh, could be... I mean, when you look at offense right now, I mean, right at the start of camp, I mean, how many positional battles really are there right now that, you know, could be determined over what happens in the next couple of weeks?
3: Yeah, not many. I mean, you have... You, you have... If anything, the battles are pushing the starters, and so clearly you have your quarterback situation wrapped up as far as who your number one is. Drew Brown's been a pretty, you know, well, I still think the jury's out on him, but you know he's certainly been a guy who's developed well in that number two spot. Another year for him, certainly to take a next step. it will be interesting to see what he does. I suppose you could say there's a battle out there for short yardage amongst quarterbacks, right? With Dakota Prukop no longer in the in the mix, he was an important piece, and we know the value that the Bombers place on that short yardage position. It's not just a guy to put his head down and crash through a couple of yards. They often have the guy throwing, a lot of trick plays, right? we Prukop played that to a T, and obviously... Hey, just on it. that,
0: just on that, I mean, there was a whole bunch of quarterbacks, none of them, many of us had ever really heard of before. Did anybody come out of rookie camp, maybe with a leg up on the other guys that were, were newbies,
3: obviously assuming that Drew Brown is the backup? Not really, like, I mean, but the rookie camp, I mean, a lot of that stuff, the short yard and stuff, that gets executed kind of against the big boys. So I don't think, you know, as much as I mentioned that battle, um, we really have no idea at this point. That wasn't, that certainly wasn't a focus. I don't think they were looking to identify, I mean, I'm sure they have identified guys based on size and whatnot, but over the three three days of rookie camp, I mean, even, even over the last couple of days of training camp, or the one day of training camp on Sunday... Uh, again, obviously today, but um, I, you know, I don't think there's any clear-cut leader in that department. That that will all come to play. That will be executed in in um, you know in in the preseason games when they get some quarterbacks in, and we'll see we'll see who can win that job. I I also don't think that Drew Brown is out of that job. Um, you know, I mean, he doesn't does he have the speed? I think he has speed. I don't think he's as fast as Brew Cop. He's not as big as Brew Cop. But you don't necessarily need to be the biggest guy either a lot of short yardage isn't you know while i think it is certainly a strategy that if you do have the size you use every last bit of it to push that line but if you already trust your you know if you already trust your line uh and you have a a smaller that can you know smaller quarterback like uh like like a you know him i I, drew brown then you know you can maybe find some holes so i wouldn't even rule him out of it i just think i just think you're looking at Probably a guy with a little bit of a different skill set, maybe bigger, but Drew Brown's got the arm, so and he's got the legs. so if he can roll out and, and make some plays on short yardage, he could be equally as dangerous. I'd be curious. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I'd be curious what he thinks about that spot being open because, you know, Prukop did have a lot of reps in that, but I think that that answer will certainly be figured out uh, over the next three weeks here. The other battles, like I said, I mean, it really, it really comes down to, you know, where's the need? I mean, receivers. I mean, there's going to be a battle between... I think there's a real battle between Carlton Agadosi and and Rashid Bailey, right? I mean Agadosi played very well in the one game, right, that he that he got into. The the seven catches, I think it was 70 yards, two touchdowns, and a win over Calgary. That was an impressive run. And got and it's not just the one performance that have, have guys calling, you know. The, calling him the likes of you know athletic freak and and all these things he's a big target and he's a big piece that if you're if you're going to draw a lot of attention towards the kenny lawlers and the dalton shones and the nick demsky demsky's a bit, might, might be nice to have a carlton agadosi there who can uh, you know be another playmaker you know nothing against Rashid bailey i just don't think you know obviously being american that would be the that would be the battle for it and, and the other thing about Rashid is with the new with the new rules in the CFL, you know Mike O'Shea kind of dismissed it a little bit, but he qualifies as one of those guys who can play 49 percent of reps for Canadians because he's been with the Bombers as long as he has. So if they want to take out a Drew Wolitarski and put you know Rashid Bailey in for half his snaps, that's a that's that's a possibility. So there's a there's a lot of opportunity there, even though if, there might be a bit of a battle. I mean, you look at you look at the linebackers you know position. You know uh, Kyrie Wilson starts on a six game. List. So is Malik Clements, is he the guy that, you know, played well in his, in his replacement? Is he the, you know, he's probably likely the guy to be a weak side uh, linebacker. But but here's the thing, much like, you know, DB's, uh, uh, a weak side linebacker is one of the positions that's leaned on heavily by the, by the scouting department to find a gem. So there might be in, you know, with the, with the benefit of an off season here there might be a couple guys that they they like in that position who might just become, you know, another Kyrie Wilson. And the other thing too with Wilson, as great as he as he has been for, for the Bombers, he didn't play last year. And he, and, you know, he's coming off an Achilles injury. And, and and that's and that's pretty, you know, that's significant, obviously. So there, there's certainly going to be a, you know, a battle there. There's a couple spots in the the secondary with uh, you know maybe the halfback position on the on the field side. I mean that's looking right now to go to be a battle between Jamal Parker and Evan Holm, two guys that both played well in relief last season. But again, what's to say there isn't another, you know, diamond in the rough that comes out of that camp and he's, you know, some guy starts balling out and and all of a sudden we yeah. again have another D Alford who's talking to the NFL the next season, you know? So those are the kind of the two positions, if you will, that that are heavily leaned on to have a cheaper spot so you're you know so obviously your scouting staff needs to be working hard in that position but everywhere else for the most part you know the, the the D line I mean there might be some depth in behind Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat to figure out we know that Jack Jackson Jeffcoat has struggled to stay healthy for the last couple of years um, so they're probably going to need a little bit of help there Theodric Hansen is still months away from returning uh, from his Achilles injury, so it's going to be a, a you know a time before he gets back into rotation. So there is some opportunity there. That's what I would stress. There's a lot of opportunity. I don't know if there's a lot of positions, starting positions that are up for grabs. But again, you're not ruling out anybody, and we'll see what happens. Injuries are also play a role, and so we're only on day two. Lots can happen between now. Well, and, and exactly.
0: That. Yeah, we're talking about a fully healthy team, which is a uh, very rare throughout any point of an 18 game regular season. Totally. Um, Hammer, you mentioned the new rules and I had actually hadn't thought about it as well. And, uh, basically since until you just mentioned it, Uh-oh. but it reminded me of a question I gave to Kyle Walters the last time we spoke. And I, I just simply asked him, this sounds logistically difficult to manage and count. How is that going to work? And he goes, great question. I have no idea. Do you have any idea? I mean, How that is going to work, I mean, essentially counting snap count for all these players that are, he's a Canadian, he's coming in. I mean, I understand what they were trying to do with it, but I have major questions as to how this is going to be adjudicated throughout games in the CFL this year.
3: Yeah, so that's why I kind of went, uh-oh, because I figured you were heading down that avenue of getting me to explain. I Not to be a cop-out, but if the general manager of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers doesn't have a clue, then I feel like I'm in the same – I'm kind of the same department. I'm sure they have some people that are – first of all, it's about identifying who's eligible, right? There's only an X amount of players on each team that would be eligible. And I don't think it would be all that difficult to have a Rashid Bailey, you know, for instance, you know, play, you know, as long as maybe you count the Canadian snaps first, right? You, you you count the snaps, the total snaps in a game, and then you count how many, you know, the Canadian played, and then, you you know, you can deduce from there how many an American played, right? Or Rasheed Bailey, in this instance, would have played. So I think it's it's definitely doable. I mean, dude, I still think it's one of the challenging things to figure out the ratio, <laughs> let, it alone, is. let alone the 49 <laughs> snaps. I mean, how how is the guarantee... Any of that play in a, in a single game, whether you have the seven starting Canadians, like if you play another guy in a position or you rotate somebody else in, like how do you equate for that? I mean, it's it's a science that well, and game management, management like, too. I mean, from a goal, coaching totally.
0: standpoint, knowing what's going on, and I guess the other question is, is, I mean, what happens if at the end of the game they add up the numbers and oh, well, Rashid was 55% and not 49%? Like, well, is, then
3: you have to determine if he played the reps alongside. You know, Drew Oletarcy, again, we use him as an example. Yeah, I mean, again, it's not, you know, you can create as, as great rules as, you know, you can fight for as great rules as possible. Last time I checked, the CVA wasn't even signed yet. So I don't know. So I think that's, uh, that's one of the quirky things with the CFL. And while I don't have a great answer for you, I guess all I can do is trust that You know, somebody is out there counting bodies and reps and ensuring that whatever rule they put in place, it's being followed. Because like I said, even the Rouge is tough to follow at times.
0: This is usually a bit of a throwaway question after one or two days of training camp. But uh, was the did anyone sort of stand out? I mean, even for guys that had been back before you, holy smokes, this guy came back. He's 25 pounds heavier. Uh, Or is this is just this is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They're back. They look good. And uh, let's get on with it.
3: Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of uh, a little bit of both, I suppose. But like, you just kind of see guys that you, you know it's it's more looks, right? Like you want to see how these guys look. Like Brandon Alexander looks thick, you know what I mean, in a good way. Like it, you know, he looks, you know, he's a muscular guy, anyways. But as you know, I mean, he went through his knee rehab last year. Uh, you know, didn't play until September, so didn't really get a training camp, and probably wasn't spending a whole bunch of time you know, from head to toe, and m- much of his focus would have been on his knee and rehabbing that. He looks bigger and thicker and ready to go. Look, I wasn't at practice today. Outside of that, it was Sunday. So you're looking at one day, and they were kind of being cautious with a lot of different players. They certainly weren't, you know, it was it, did they hit the ground running? Sure, in a lot of ways they did, but they're not going to be throwing out their, you know, the intense one-on-one battles. I think this is get guys on the field, get them acclimated to, you know what what the what the practices are gonna look like here for the next little bit and you know I think that intensity only ramp, ramps up uh, over time and especially once they get the pads on right I mean that's kind of that's kind of when you when you really hear it um, and uh, and see maybe guys separate themselves. but at this point um, certainly you know Zach Kolaris looks good you know a lot of the usual suspects looks good. Willie Jefferson doesn't look like he's slowed down any bit. I wouldn't you know even though big Adam Bigel had his reps, had his reps limited. I have no. I have all the trust in the world that he shows. He's, he has showed up ready to go. Um, I think those 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 answers to those to that question will uh, will certainly um, will certainly come here in the next little while. But maybe not maybe not for the first forty eight hours. Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press with
0: us uh, talking a little Blue Bomber camp, and uh, we should get into quickly the Jets off season uh, after this. Uh, Rima and I are going to go through this athletic trade bait board and we're, we're always here for trade bait boards or free agency rankings. Sure. But uh, four of the top eight guys on this list are members of the Winnipeg Jets right now, which kind of gives you a feeling this is not done by Murad or people here in Winnipeg. These are Michael Russo and people far outside of it. Um, You know, I know we kind of touch on this each and every week, but um, you know, there's a number of teams that are now out that have their own big questions to answer, Jeff. Um, It starts with Hellebuck. He's number one on this list. Um, How do you see this playing out right now? And, and, And I guess, I mean, listen, we know the way the Jets operate. I mean, we'll sort of get some information at some point randomly that they've spoken or things are going well, or maybe that there is a deal. But are you still of the opinion that Hellebuck conversations take place first, figuring that out, and uh, everything else sort of falls from there. Uh, or, as this list almost indicates, a bunch of guys are moving are moving out. Hellebuck's just part of the possibilities. He might be a guy that the team feels they have a better chance to keep. But um, the phone lines are open, as they say, at, uh, at Jets HQ and the GM's office.
3: Yeah, I mean... Four of the top eight on you know their trade board, trade bait board, or any any you know newsrooms or broadcasts or whatever. I think you're going to have you're going to have those four players easily with I'm um, easily in your top ten because they're four for the most part. You know maybe outside of Blake Wheeler who has a very difficult contract to get rid of even for a year and you know and we've seen that the Jets haven't exactly been willing to to eat half of it um, for I think a player they think is. Still, you know, still value, probably not 8 million value, but still has value, as we saw in the playoffs here, uh, at least in the first round. Um, But I'm not surprised at all to have those four guys on there. And I mean, at at this at this stage, I mean, we are getting dangerously closer to the draft next month. And, you know, while there's still certainly time, you know, I I think what we talked about this last week, talked about this the week before, it's about finding out what, what exactly each player wants. And I think when you looked and you heard from Connor Hellibuck in his you know, his uh his season end his season end interview, that did not look like a guy who was probably coming back or signing a long-term extension. And um, maybe not coming back isn't the right term, but the fact is if he doesn't come – if he doesn't sign an extension, he shouldn't be coming back next season. He should be – he should be traded. I would not be surprised if those conversations have started. I certainly would not be surprised if the conversations over Pierre-Luc Dubois, particularly with Montreal, have started. Um, perhaps other teams around the league, you know teams are calling about Connor We We, You know, you look at this playoffs um, – You know, I was, you look at, you look at teams like Boston, you look at teams uh, like New Jersey, you know, could they not use a guy like Connor Hellebuck? Absolutely. And so, you know, when you look at their playoff runs and where they fell short, they're probably looking at a goaltender as being that one key ingredient to helping them out. Uh, You know, whether that gets done. I mean, if you're looking at timelines right now, I mean, it'd be crazy not to think the timeline isn't the trade deadline. I mean, that's when things get really interesting, obviously not just, you know whether you're whether you're trying to collect draft picks for for this season or for for future seasons or whether you're trying to get players. I think the the, the Jets, if you're looking at if you're led to believe what you know some of the reports from you know whether it be Darren Drager or, or you know others that kind of you know obviously have close ties to the team and deliver messages through them. I mean they're not really looking for a rebuild, but how long have we been saying this that they don't really they don't really control the ship anymore? You know it's their rebuild could very well be determined on on you know whether any of those four players want to return it looks like three of them probably aren't signing long all of them are probably signing long-term extensions but three of them are still very much in the you know different stages of their career but still have plenty of years left to contribute where they want to sign their next long-term deal Um, if that's not in Winnipeg well you're probably you know I, I think it would be derelict of duty to go into the season with any of them on expiring contracts we know that doesn't you know that doesn't bode well for the teams and that certainly doesn't bode well for value Um, and i don't think you want to find yourself in a position where you go into the season and then you're making a decision by by the trade deadline well if you're doing well at the trade deadline you're not trading them if you are then there's questions question marks are well why didn't you why didn't you trade them earlier in the year and so you look at you look at the three guys i would say you know, we've talked about this has like Connor Hellebuck is the number one priority as far as figuring out a decision and potentially a, you know, signing an extension if he's interested in doing that. I don't think that's the case. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a very, very close second, um, just because of you know, I think the value you could probably get from him. And then you're trying to figure out what the deal is with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. We know that this team tried to trade Blake Wheeler last last off season, didn't work out. Is it different this year after what, what you know what teams saw from Blake? not, not really sure, but there is only one year left on the deal rather than two. Uh, And then Mark Shifley, I mean, I, you know, I, we've talked about this in the past. It seems very, very hard to imagine a a long-term extension um, for him, but you know, at the same time, can you completely rule it out? I don't know exactly what Mark Shifley is looking for in his new deal will obviously play a factor, whether, you know, obviously the culture of this team will play a factor, um and how mark shifley affects that but it's some you know i think we're we're, you know if you were to ask me what what i think the future holds here i think we're looking at probably getting a pierre Luc dubois trade first probably followed by a hellebuck trade and then probably followed by a mark shifley trade and and that's that and again that's Mm. that that makes it not all that surprising to see you know those three names and, and blake wheeler's name on a list of on a list of top eight i'm assuming blake wheeler's the fourth guy there. It's not like a Nino Rider yeah, yeah, or anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's,
0: yeah, it's Wheeler, which it kind of surprised me that he'd be that high just because of the, totally. the value of the player and how difficult that contract is to move. But, um, but, you know, back to those comments from a guy like Drager, you know, saying that they, there, there's not an appetite for a rebuild. I think the most important thing, and this gets, uh, listen, I think this gets confused um, by a lot of people when we're having this conversation is what is the definition of a rebuild? Like, I think when it is used in that term, uh, at least as it pertains to the Winnipeg Jets, I mean, are they looking to go scorched earth and basically get to the floor and be the worst team in the league? Absolutely not. And and to be honest, I don't think it's really possible with the talent that they would still have on this club. But, I mean, to me, if you're turning over those four players, that's absolutely a rebuild. I mean unless you're basically just trading apples for apples and getting other guys with one year left on the contract which to me is not even a remote possibility because that just doesn't work no. with this team right now. Um and to me there's two like there's kind of two camps. I really think that the Wheeler and Shifley deals need to be made and I think that the organization feels that those guys need to be moved because they really do need to turn over from the past and and move on with a new group of of leaders, with a new dressing room, and whether you like it whether you put a C on someone else's chest, whatever, those guys have been the alphas in the room and have run that room, and especially with Blake Wheeler for so long that that's just something that I think needs needs to happen. The other two are more you're forced into it. I mean, I think the Jets would love nothing more than to have both Connor Hellebuck and Pierre Luc Dubois as long term members of their hockey club. But if that doesn't happen, then they sort of are forced to do it. Now, the reason I bring this up is that, to me, there is sort of a deadline. And that deadline is, you know, the Wednesday of the draft in Nashville. Um, Because as soon as that doesn't happen, you get through draft week, the picks are used, teams make other moves. You go to a very light, very light free agent group this year, uh, which actually might play into the Jets' hands. I mean, as far as the timing to trade those players. But, I mean, I could see, I could actually see Dubois coming back next year and being a jet for the majority of the season and having him traded at the deadline. And I could even make an argument that the value of Pierre-Luc Dubois at the trade deadline might be as much, if not more, than it is right now. But, again, do you want to be dealing with that all year? Probably not. And you certainly don't want to be dealing with that situation with those other two guys. It
3: feels like a lose lose, doesn't it? Though, like it feels like a, it's like if you bring Pierre Luc and I, and I and I see what you're saying, but even if it, even if you're right about his value increasing by the trade deadline, I mean, are you keeping on? Are you holding on to him so you can hover around the playoff line and potentially trade him at? at the deadline like or are you keeping him to push for another f- push for wherever the you know imagine the jets were in a similar situation this year imagine they imagine they do get rid of say a mark shifley and a blake wheeler say things do turn around say they do pick up a couple of different players all of a sudden you're you know you're maybe not first in the central but you're second or third and you're in fight for the first and you, you gotta train pierre Luc dubois <laughs> at the deadline like like it just it it to me it's bananas. And I and I think you know what the thing, the biggest takeaway for me is, and I'm not trying to raid on the parade of of you know, maybe a mass exodus here, but like not one guy, not one of those guys even said how much they like playing here. Uh, even suggested No no they didn't you know, take the fans an, or an anything ounce of like interest no. of an extension, right? And and you you can do that. You can you know, like you had you have Austin Matthews doing that you know, in Toronto, talking about how he, you know, even if you don't, like, not one guy was interested in saying that he was, you know, wanting to be in Winnipeg, that he liked his time here, that he want, you know, could see himself here in the future. You can do that as a business strategy, right? I mean, you can do that as, you can do that to tell the, to to get curry favor from fans, right? You don't even have to be telling the truth, but the fact that nobody was even interested in whispering an interest of sticking around, that tells me, Kevin Shevledyov is already knee deep in this. There's already teams talking. There is no maybe this guy's on the roster for next year and all this. And whether you want to call it a rebuild or a retool, I don't know. Maybe 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 a Nino Niederreiter is your example of the potential of being a retool where you're bringing a couple extra guys and maybe maybe if things don't work out at the trade deadline, you're shipping him out. But I don't think in the, of of the four guys we're talking about how you can have any of those guys with the feeling that Maybe you make it, maybe you don't. And then, you, then you're then you forced to make a move or risk losing the guy altogether, heaven forbid, if your team's actually doing well.
0: Okay, so let's get back to this, you know, whether we want to call it rebuild, retool. I mean, if you're trading your top two centers and your Vesna caliber goalie and the guy that's been the leader and the captain for the last 10 years, to me that would absolutely be rebuilding or retooling or whatever. It's massive and it's very, very significant um considering this is the winnipeg jets this is not just random nhl team with the challenges that winnipeg have or has just in building a team in free agency with players that have winnipeg on the no trade list what if you're kevin shovel you've come to grips we're trading these guys jeff what are you thinking about the ass like what what needs to be in a package coming back to winnipeg for it to make sense to pull the trigger on players that will have quite a bit of interest around the league. Like to me, when people say they're not looking to rebuild, what, you're just going to trade Pierre-Luc Dubois one for one for some other player that's going to come in with an extra two years on his deal? I mean, to me, and I don't think there's many people that would disagree with me listening to this or with us here on YouTube right now. To me, what the Winnipeg Jets need to do is identify younger players finishing up ELCs under team control and potentially include a pick or two where essentially you're getting a player that comes in, and it may, you have to acknowledge that it might be a short-term step back, but a player that you think has the potential to at least grow in the near future into a guy that can be in some of the roles that the players that you are trading. It gives you cough certainty. It gives you years under team control, which are more important here than they are everywhere else. I mean to me i don't see any other way of doing it and you know to suggest that the jets would you know be training a shifley or i mean i know ken was we were talking about like an elias Lindholm. well elias Lindholm has one year left on his deal too like i don't think hey he's a great player but i mean unless he says beforehand that he's down with an extension and you get it done which i highly doubt would happen to me there's only one way that this goes and that is with younger players prospects you know, it might be some highly drafted players that just haven't popped yet at the NHL level. And we've talked about a few of those guys lately. But, I mean, that's the way it has to
3: happen, right? Absolutely. And so, like, so to kind of, there's a couple different things. I mean, the one thing is, you 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 know, the difference between a retool and a rebuild. Like, to your definition, like a rebuild is actively doing things to tear down your, your organization. You're selling off everybody. You're selling off players with with you know with contracts still left on you know on their deals and so in that case you would not only be getting rid of all four guys you'd be looking for suitors for Kyle Connor you'd be looking for suit you know you might keep a Josh Morrissey because he's you know he might be good for the room or to give you know to give kind of other players just not to be a complete you know you know disaster if you will but I think you're totally right I think that's where you know, that's where the scouting staff really needs to come into play here. That's where, you know, you're not looking, because the reality is you're not probably trading, you know, a Pierre-Luc Dubois or a Mark Scheifele, you know, or a Connor Hellebuck for a par player, right? You know, especially not a non-par player for, you know, who has term left on their their deals, right? I mean, or it's going to be a lesser player for sure. It's definitely not going to be on par. You're not going to be, you know. Do you want to trade for a bunch of picks, right? Because that's not giving you anything right now. And so, to your point, Hus, you know, you what, the, you know, the the staff, the scouting staff, the various advisors that they employ around the NHL, it's up to them to determine and find out guys who are 23, 24, 25 years old who may just, you know, maybe haven't, maybe haven't done a whole bunch at this level, but they are projecting to be better. And so that your window isn't two, three years, four years, five years down the road, maybe it's one or two to retool within these guys' contracts. And, you know, I look at it, you know, and obviously there's been a lot of attention paid to, you know, a lot of attention paid to the Montreal Canadiens and and wanting, you know, wanting Pierre-Luc Dubois. And then the conversation automatically turning to, well, why would they give up anything of, you know, of value, um, you know, or high quality to get, you know, to get a pierre Le Dubois who will be gone in a year, most likely, and all those things. So you start looking at players. So you start looking at some guys, prospects, you know, guys that are in the, in, in the you know, Montreal system, and you look at guys like Justin Barron. Could Justin Barron be a piece that they could bring back? That's obviously, you know, Morgan Barron's younger brother. He's, he's, he's potentially a top-four D-man. You know, you look at guys like Joshua Waugh, you know, like, that's a guy who, who could potentially be, you know, pieces. And you have to add on these guys, right? So, like, there's other guys. There's Lucas Condota if I'm getting that name right. There's a guy, there's a guy by the name of Xavier Simeno. These are guys that are under-the-radar players in Montreal that if you add them all up, maybe throw a couple third-round picks into it or, you know, a couple picks into it, Maybe as a sweetener, you start creating a bit of a package where you start creating competition and value in different areas. Again, it's not going to be as highlighted as a potential number one centerman, but maybe one or two or three of those guys pop off and, and get better. And that's how you incrementally get better as a team. So that's where the work needs to be put in. To, to create packages this. to identify that. So when you do give away those guys and fans might be, who the heck is this guy? Or why didn't you get two first round picks for this guy? Or why didn't you get, you know, the te- the rest of the team's top picks for the next five years? <laughs> it's because they picked these other guys out that I think could be a big deal. And the other part too, and sorry, I something about to ask something, but maybe even with that, you start looking at Montreal and switching first round picks because all of a sudden fifth isn't as great as first or second. Right. And so maybe there's some movement there. Again, we'll, we'll see what the happens. The 5th round but, pick was on the table.
0: I think they would do what it took to get that. Uh, I'm just sure. not sure that they'd I mean, be willing to move picks off with of the that. Jets,
3: yeah. You know, as part of that package cuz you want more than just the 5th round overall yeah. player is well, I mean, the, the Jets pick. this year. They
0: have the Florida pick too. And I could see that coming along with the player. And I mean from from people that I've talked to, the one guy that when things were being talked about last year that the Winnipeg Jets had their eyes set on is Caden Gooley. And Gouli was what picked in the first round two years ago or three no years ago. Gouley's played his first year. Well,
3: it, it like they just they, he's he's off off he's the, the board. He's, he's the future of yeah, Montreal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why nothing got nothing got. And they got also wanted Nick Suzuki.
3: Year. He's the captain of the Montreal Canadians. Yeah. Well, want here's the, the thing. You know,
0: here's the thing about you know if they because there is a risk to say oh we'll just let you go back and don't worry he's going to come here. I mean. I do think that there would be a number of teams that will be interested in Dubois right now to get him in there. And
3: you know what? And one I, of those is going to be Montreal for sure. Well, oh, Montreal. Well, Montreal's Montreal not has taking the a, pro, this idea that he'll be around in a year from it, now. They well, want exactly. him. Exactly. Like, can him. you
0: imagine? There's a team in their division. A big rival of theirs, the Boston Bruins, who potentially could be without Krejci and Bergeron. their top two centers. Basically, exactly what's happening here in Winnipeg. You don't think they'd have... But If Dubois sets foot in Boston, likes the city, hell of a great team and an organization, and gets a nice off I mean, it could backfire so spectacularly on Montreal if that sort of a scenario happened. I think it is incumbent on them to come to the table with a legitimate offer that makes the Winnipeg Jets feel like they're doing well for their club going forward and not being forced into taking something for 50 cents on the dollar. And to me, that is the job of Kevin Chevaldeoff right now to A try to engage other teams that feel that they might have the opportunity to keep Dubois around longer than he seems to be willing to stay here in Winnipeg. And if that is the case, then you know, stick that to Montreal and say you guys are gonna need to up your offer if you really want to get this done. Because I will say this: if they're able to do it and not trade Kirby Doc to the to the Winnipeg Jets as part of it and get Pierre-Luc Dubois, that Suzuki Dubois dock center ice position <clears throat> looks pretty darn good going into next season. <clears throat> and here's the other thing, Jeff. <clears throat> there is, uh, There has to be a want inside Montreal to actually be a competitive team this year. I mean, they, they've they struggled through the last couple seasons, and, and maybe they were able to do it coming off that miracle run to the Cup Final a couple years ago. But I don't believe there's an appetite to just continue. Like, this is not a Blackhawks situation right now. They picked number one overall last year. They're going to have a high pick this year. I mean, it's time to start waiting to get back to the playoffs and be a competitive team. And uh, you would hope that that, along with potential other suitors, might be able to get the value up to a level that Kevin feels feels comfortable pulling the trigger on.
3: Look, I, I, I think if you were asked Pierre-Luc Dubois and he was to tell you the complete truth, he'd want nothing more than to create a legacy with the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, I've had conversations with him. He didn't say exactly that, but he did say that, you know, anyone who's French-Canadian um, wants to play for the Montreal Canadiens. It's just, that's the way it is. It's not, you know, like anyone else who might have, you know, it's like, you you know, you can liken it to European soccer or whatever. I mean, you you you... You bleed that, you know. You bleed that team as a kid, and and again, I think he would want to see his name up there with all the other greats and in, in Montreal Canadiens. But make no mistake, I think that I think Pierre Luc Dubois would go to several other teams. You know, whether it be a Boston Bruins. He, I mean, could you not see him easily playing sliding into a Boston Bruins lineup in the way he plays? I mean, he he screams Boston. I mean. I think he probably wants to go to a contender, but what's stopping them? And I know they're in a bit of money trouble. What's stopping the Philadelphia Flyers from going after a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois? I mean, you you know, I'll tell you what it is, John Tortorella, but other, you know, but other than, other than the, you know, the obvious, I I, I think it's, I think he's a guy who would go to a contender, right? I mean, he'd go to a team that there's a lot of teams, like you said, that would, would call on a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois for his style in which he plays. Um, That being said, I think Montreal is very aware of that. I don't think Montreal is taking a stance of, you know, maybe we'll get him in a year from now. They like to build around, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised. And this is kind of like maybe gets a little bit conspiracy theory here, but I wouldn't be surprised if Montreal was going after the likes of, you know, a Pierre-Luc Dubois, Alex Lafreniere from New York Rangers, a guy who apparently needs a coach, needs a coach who can help him, you know, develop. Is there a better coach to do that than a Marty St. Louis? Probably not. And so, I, I do, th- you know, but I also think that Montreal is in a is in a pretty interesting situation, um, and and that situation is they got a lot of guys on LTIR that they need to shed that money. They don't have a ton of space to be, you know, signing guys long term. So that's going to come to you know fruition here soon, right? Kerry Price still hasn't decided what his future is. He's certainly not going to retire, right? I heard one one guy has told me that you know start. Start thinking about, you know, a lot of it's been talking about, you know, some of his off-ice issues, you know, for why Carey Price isn't, you know, doing what he's doing and some of the substance abuse, stuff like that, away from, you know, the game or whatever, it's keeping him out. You're going to start hearing a lot about his knee soon, right? Because it's going to be focused on his knee for insurance reasons. And there's certain – there's certain t- like with LTR, uh, IR, it helps. It helps in a lot of ways, but there's certain tiers of insurance that conflict with one another and the premiums go up as you get deeper into those things it's a very convoluted thing but that's the situation with Montreal so before they even go after a guy like Pierre Dubois and are interested in signing him long term they're gonna have to take care of some contracts in-house so that's gonna be kind of your first little hint on whether Montreal is positioning themselves to make a significant move or not is going to have to be taking care of that kind of business before they start going after a guy and then ultimately sign him to a long term deal. But as far as Pierre Luc Dubois goes, I mean, I, I really do think there's opportunities to, to go to other teams. And, and the Jets aren't just going to get, you know, aren't just going to, you know, they've shown a resistance to not just give in to whatever you want. They're not just going to hand over Pierre Luc Dubois to Montreal because he's interested in playing there. They're going to do what's ever best for the Winnipeg Jets um whether that's getting him on another team for one season or a team that maybe does a sign you know a trade or a sign and trade or whatever the reality is is you know the biggest thing is is if whether or not Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to come is, wants to be here we don't really get that feeling it, it's quite obvious that you know he's going to be moving on you can't really sit on this for too long and you can't really wait for the Montreal Canadiens to be that suitor if it's not if it's not exactly what you want in return
0: yeah just on that LTIR i mean they they, they had Over 20 million bucks on LP. That's what I mean. Like, you you get into the good thing is, though, 10 10 is off the books, though, now. Like, Monaghan's contract is up and Paul Byron's up at the end of the year. So, you're talking about that massive 10 5 for Carey Price for the next, what, one, two, three seasons. Um, So, that will be an issue. But, I mean, that probably isn't going to change whether it's next year or the year afterwards. So, they essentially have to manage that and uh, figure it out. But as I said, the. It is quite juicy considering everything that we've heard about Montreal and Dubois and what that's done to, you know, his situation here in Winnipeg. The thought of uh, Dubois just filling the footsteps of Patrice Bergeron in Boston and haunting them for the next 10 years in the National Hockey League. Uh, Hammer, this has been awesome. Uh, I guess back at uh, training camp this week, uh, what do you got cooking in the free...
3: Uh, i got uh i got a couple things on the go i got my cfl rundown column i'll be joining rejoining camp on thursday uh and working throughout you know throughout that uh, not throughout the whole weekend but yeah lots of bombers lots of uh lots of jets off season stuff and uh whatever get a, whatever else is tossed my way you know how it works
0: well we may need to have an off-air meeting uh outdoors involving a beverage or two very soon i lot uh... I'm not
3: against that. I'll send my people. will discuss with your people. We'll, uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks a lot. House. Really appreciate having me on and uh, shout out to the uh, viewers. You guys, you know, you make the show. Oh, Take the care.
0: chat was popping during that one. Hammer. You always bring it. I was great stuff with, uh, with Jeff Hamilton and, uh, Something tells me we'll be having a few more conversations like that. We actually are going to get to that athletic trade bait board in just a minute. But, of course, we were uh, just talking Bombers with Hammer, and Bomber season is just about here. Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the hosts of the always-growing and incredibly popular Princess Auto tailgate zone before every Blue Bomber game. Uh, Visit the... uh, Princess Auto tailgate before you head on to see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and visit Princess Auto at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. Well, the uh, buds are popping right now, grass is getting green, and if you have irrigation needs for your property I got a guy for you. We got a guy. We got a team. It's the Consolidated Supply Team and our pal Joe down at Consolidated Supply with irrigation systems, artificial turf for your property. Not to mention they are the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba with new and used golf carts for all sorts of needs and other great options for your property, including hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchen options as well as small engine parts and repair. Consolidated Supply has their new showroom open to the public at 1395 Niagara Road East. Pop down and see the fellas there and how they can help you on your projects or find out more online at cte.ca. Well, banging... Tent sale at Royal Sports on the weekend. And uh, I have a feeling we'll be getting a few more of those. If you uh, didn't manage to get the incredible savings on thousands of pieces of merchandise and shoes at Royal on the weekend make sure to pop by there very soon for another one but as of right now i mean you'll have great deals and sales coming out of the tent sale every day at royal sports as manitoba's number one sports superstore with the biggest and best selection of licensed team gear around and spring stock arriving daily with soccer baseball softball tennis equipment and a huge selection of bikes as well Get ready to dominate spring and summer at Royal Sports. Get on down today at 750 Pemina Highway and make sure you're following them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and, of course, sale information like the Big Tent sale that happened this weekend. Uh, we got a Game 7 tonight which we'll get to in a minute in the Cool Bet lines. Best place to gather with friends and watch Game 7? You know it's always your local Boston pizza. Enjoyed ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the BP Fanalytics feature menu. And, of course, if you're staying in for the game tonight, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. Uh, don't forget AS Downs, ASD today, Monday. It's a week today assiniboia downs opening race of the year darren dunn's going to join us i think on thursday to preview the season and kirk Contois, our pal kirk who dropped mage as his winning horse tip for the uh, kentucky derby that came through at 17 to 1. kirk's going to be back getting us ready for the preakness on friday as well uh but make a plan live racing begins next monday at a Downs, and I uh, can't wait to start picking head-to-head with Remus on next week's shows on Days of Live Racing. All right, let's get Remo back in here. And, uh, Remo, that was, it was always fun to have Hammer on. He's one of our favorites. We did get a good taste of um, Bomber training camp, which I think kind of knew what to expect. Um, but that last conversation we had, once we start getting down to trade possibilities for members of the Winnipeg Jets, always guaranteed to
1: get the chat going. Oh yeah, and I even put out a poll there, uh, just midway through you brought up Dubois. I wrote to the chat, is he getting traded to the to Montreal? Fifty eight percent of the people who responded said no, and you're getting a lot of well just trade him to the best team. And if you're a team acquiring Dubois, I think you have to realize that you maybe won't sign there long term or you're gonna have to put full court press on to resign him. For Montreal, I don't know why they would give up significant assets. Uh, for Dubois, when they could reset, you know, could sign him next year. I guess they want first dibs on trying to that's sign a him. Big, but,
0: that's a big risk, man. I mean, I, I, like they're, they're really. I mean, I keep on using this Boston example. Can you imagine? If they said, Ah, no, don't worry, we'll just do it next year. And then he goes to Boston and signs with them, and they got to be playing against him for an eight-year contract.
1: I, one thing about Dubois, too. I, I mean, I agree with you there. I also say I don't know how he fits in. To their plan, like, when are they going to start actually trying to win? Because they're currently in, in tank rebuild mode. Now, they have fifth overall this year, but I guess if you I have... I think it's him, this year. If you have him and Nick Suzuki, it would be it would be this year, so... Well, uh, and Doc.
0: I mean, like, like yeah. if we're talking about getting a piece or two in a first-round pick and not getting Kirby Doc back, I mean, I'm sorry, but if you have Suzuki, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Kirby Doc as your top three centers... That that should be a playoff team if you're not completely strapped at other positions, and I think you can make an argument that the Canadians are certainly ready to at least compete with those teams on the periphery. When we saw a turnover this year already with Pittsburgh and with Washington not making the playoffs, um, you know, as some of those teams go down, we've got big questions about the Islanders who were in the playoffs. I think Buffalo is going to be challenging next year for a spot. I think Detroit will be. Um, but I think there's an appetite to get back to winning or at least being competitive as opposed to the uh, tank show we saw this year for uh, for uh, Connor Bedard.
1: Yeah, the one player that kept coming up in trade talks, it's fun to make, you know, it's fun to play fantasy hockey, Huss, and just come up with wild trades. Does but everyone, everyone wants- and she, I was saying, get, make sure you get Justin Barron thrown in, Morgan Barron's brother, and how great would that be? You know, we're seeing the Stahl brothers going to the conference final with Florida. Wouldn't it be nice to have the Barons? Here I don't know. We did see their parents at a game. We could have more parents shots too next time the Jets are in the playoffs because we didn't see any Jets parents in the playoffs. We Only saw Golden Knights parents.
0: Yeah, no, no. Mark Stone, the uh, the the Stone family, uh, a Winnipeg family. Maybe that's why mm. they're doing it. They uh they certainly had that shot of uh,
1: the Stone family at we least did against see the, Winnipeg. Yeah.
0: Did, did 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 he get much uh, airtime in the uh, in the
1: Edmonton series? Well, it wasn't in it wasn't in Winnipeg. It was in Edmonton. So I'm not i not sure. They definitely didn't show Stuart Skinner's parents because he's what from Edmonton and playing for the Oilers in the playoffs. So I I feel bad actually saying that, but uh, that was a tough one. But no, I didn't see anyone's parents uh, yesterday. I think that maybe that's a first round storyline showing the parents. That <laughs> I'm not definitely. a TV. I'm not a TV executive, so I don't know. But I haven't I haven't seen any any parents. No. Maybe the stall. Although I'm sure the stall parents will be shown if they're there.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. No, with, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay, we, we talked about this a little bit off the top, but let's get to this athletic trade bait board. Okay. Because Michael Russo and Eric DeHacek have put together a group of um, players that, how do they determine? Uh, I'll just read this to you, right? These are the first couple of paragraphs. As the Leafs begin their postseason autopsy, following their loss to the Panthers, and determine the future of their core four, another Canadian team has already been at it for weeks trying to handle the future of its own Big Four. This could be a summer of upheaval in Winnipeg, which is why the first edition of the Athletics' off-season trade board needs to be heavy on the Jets. Now, it goes down through the season that the team had, the unique contract situations, the inability on Dubois to get a deal done, and what we heard from Connor Hellebuck at the end of the season. But as you're seeing right now on the screen... Uh, the off-season trade board starts with two members of the Winnipeg Jets. Number one on that board is Connor Hellebuck, with his one year remaining on his contract at just above six million dollars. <throat> and number two on that board is Mark Scheifele, coming off a forty-two goal season with one year left at just about an identical. I think he makes what about forty grand less than Connor Hellebuck in the low six point one million dollar range and um you know william nylander is second eric carlson is or sorry william nylander is third eric carlson is fourth kevin hayes which is somewhat interesting at fifth considering that he's 31 and the amount of money that he makes signed till the end of the 2026 season john gibson ducks goaltender number six this goaltending seems to be in high demand And then you've got Blake Wheeler at number seven and Pierre-Luc Dubois at number eight. I will say it was kind of interesting that Wheeler's higher than Dubois. I'm not sure. I guess that's maybe on likelihood of being traded by their uh, determinations. All I know, Rio, is that half of the top eight players on this board are members of the Winnipeg Jets, which certainly speaks to uh, the conversation we just had with Jeff and essentially the talk around this club, really from the end of the season, actually far before it, Knowing that this was going to be an off season of change, whether the team wanted to or liked it or not, when it came to the assets that they have right now, with the diminishing time on their contracts, something has to give. And uh, if we can take it from the Athletics
1: team, it looks like there's a lot to give right now when it comes to dealing around the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, um, this was. I was. People were asking me in chat how excited I was when this came out, and I got to be honest, I was. Extremely excited for rumors this morning.
0: Trade bait board is here. Let's oh, go. I
1: texted you and Jeff. I'm like, get ready. It's because like last year was just way too much fun doing Trots Watch every day, and I made a joke like after after the draft it was Dubois drama, and we'll have to see if that <laughs> continues. I was kind of. You get a new
0: logo for the Dubois drama from last year? Maybe we can fire it back up. I'll
1: bring up the logo. I'll have to swap out 2020. Um, two or twenty twenty-three.
0: Just put in twenty twenty-three. We're good.
1: Here, he already has the Dubois ready. Here was this one. Yeah, yeah. One Let me find the logo. It was too good. Ah, uh, here we are. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> time to break it out. It's time. Oh. Although I was surprised Hellebuck was number one. Like I think, in terms of likely to be traded, Dubois is absolutely number one. Uh, For me, I mean, although I'm not talking to agents and front office people, but it just seems like he's 100% came out and said, well, this is agent. I mean, it's been implied and reported that he's not re signing here. So you have to trade him. And now it's like, okay, is it going to be this summer or is it going to be at the draft? And Connor Hellbuck, it did sound a lot like he is ready for a change of scenery, ready for somewhere um, where they're going for a Stanley Cup. And, and, and so he would be attractive to teams. And they do mention in this article, mm-hmm. um, sorry, let me see. They write, uh, Hallibuck could get $9 million plus in the open market. And the Jets want young team-controlled assets in exchange in the, uh, New Jersey and Buffalo teams who are interested. And from Buffalo, team players like Uko pekka Lukanen, Peyton Krebs, or Casey Middlestead, young players you have control, would be Interested in Connor Hallbeck, and those are teams that need a goalie. Another team needs a goalie. L.A. Kings, They're expecting the Kings to be active. I'm curious what happens with Porpasalo. And I was thinking about Edmonton, who needs a goalie. Now they didn't mention him. That's just me speculating. But that was that was interesting. And you know, you and Jeff also, I mean, as I go to the buffet, mentioned players. Not really saying, oh, you know, I love Winnipeg. I love the fans. I want to. This is where I want to play. Player who's number three on the list, William Nylander, did say today, I love it here. I don't want to be anywhere else, and I agree. I don't think you heard that from the Jets. You heard from Hellebuck. Dude, the mix we didn't. we did isn't hear, right.
0: We didn't even hear anything like that. Like, like I, I like, mean, like the guy like Josh Morrissey did put an Instagram picture out thanking the fans for everything. But he was basically the only one. I think Lowry might have done that. No, that, no,
1: a lot, a lot of them did. A lot. I think a, but, a, a, Perfetti did. I'm trying to think who else. They have put like end of year, but I'm just saying at that press.
0: Oh at that yeah. press Only
1: Nino was the one who came out and said. Yeah. I think he was the <laughs> was only Dieter one. Meyer. And I saw, pe- I saw people in chat pushing back on. I knew Mike asked Shafley about, you know, be, playing with a team, you know, one team his career, and he gave like an answer about it. But I, I don't. Yeah, think he, he said
0: how much he loved Steve Eiserman.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what. Right. So I I agree. Like wasn't like you're hearing from the Leafs today. i mean, It's funny comparing year end press conferences. Like Kyle Dubas came out today and said, "Oh, this is all." This is all on me and, you know, kind of is unsure if he's, he says if he's going to be back with the team, it's going to be the Leafs. He's got to talk to his wife and see. But Tavares says, I like it here. I want to stay. You know, Austin Matthews saying my attention is to be here. He sees a long term future. Would like to sign an extension before the season. You just didn't get that uh, for the Jets, which is why we're seeing, you know, <laughs> four of the top eight on the athletic <laughs> trade board. From the yeah, Jets this the is part Wheel- of the culture change yeah. that needs to happen with the Jets.
0: And, mm-hmm. and, I mean, this can just be PR if it is. Teach the guys to say the right thing. But, I mean, for a long time, and, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll put Blake Wheeler as sort of the culture carrier for this. I mean, it has been a group of, of, of players, at least, you know, I think the way that they, they've handled themselves, it's almost like there hasn't been a lot of outward appreciation for the fan base that are there in the NHL's smallest markets there each and every night. Um, There's been a feeling almost like we should be thankful to them for willing to be willing to play in Winnipeg. And that is something that they as an organization need to get past. And I think that they enabled a lot of it, um, you know, in earlier years. And in some ways it was a creation of their own, but um, this, this team, this organization, this franchise to go forward healthy to rebuild some of you know the uh, connections with their fan base they need to have guys that'll come out give an honest effort 100 percent of the time and, and and at least act like they're happy to be here um, to say those right things and unfortunately that hasn't happened enough and when when you have that same group for so long, listen, winning can change a lot of things um, but they didn't so now you've got a group of uh, of fan base that I think for the most part is, it, not just willing, but excited to move on from these players to try to maybe create that, you know, that next generation of Winnipeg Jets that hopefully will at least outwardly like being part of our community a little bit more, actually appreciate what the fans do for this team each and every night and the ones that are paying the freight. And I hate to say it, but, you know, starting with the leadership of this group for a number of years. Uh, At least to me, that's never really come out at all. And um, I think it's important for guys like Morrissey and guys like Lowry, uh, as well as some new players to come in and kind of to create that atmosphere around. Because I think it'll be better for all parties involved. Uh, But this just goes back to that team. And we had conversations the last couple of years, which... You know, the Jets themselves, I mean, at times they were almost seemingly an unlikable team, which is crazy when you think about the athletes that they have on it and individually how those people are. But we certainly didn't get that as a team. And um, I don't want to pin it on one guy because I think it was a lot more to it. And I think the organization had a lot of kind of building that. But, you know, people shouldn't be having like the Winnipeg should not have to apologize to people for them to play here in our market. You know what? They're in the national hockey league. It's a great honor. You're getting paid a ton of money. How about put a smile on your face and embrace that as opposed to, um, you know, making uh, all of us feel like we maybe owe them a little something extra.
1: Cause it's cold out here in the winter. It's freaking professional hockey. Well said. Hustler. I see a lot of people agreeing with you in the chat here and, I do think I agree. There is an appetite for a bit of a reset. You've had the same group, and you're talking about a retool versus a rebuild. Rebuild. The contract situation kind of dictates. Hey, you're going to have to switch things around. My question for for you, and just looking at this list, like, do you think four of these guys start game? Like, how many of the four start game one of next season with the Jets? You think you think one of them remains, Are all four of them? There's gone? a chance. There's a chance one of them do. Is it, is a Wheeler? Is that your one or is it Shifley? Put it this
0: way. I don't think they want it to be Wheeler. Or Hellebuck even. But we, well, I mean, listen, I, I would say there's still a, probably a better chance of Hellebuck being here. Like, listen, I don't think it's Mark Shifley. And I think it's, I think Dubois is going to be gone at some point based on what we know. Mm-hmm. So that probably happens now. Although, Uh, Like, I think that if Shifley came back and Wheeler came back, I mean, I think that you're just basically writing off another season. Um, I think that they understand that, you know, that change needs to be made. And I think that that was completely apparent in the final couple months of the year. Um, and that, I think, is why Rick Bonus said what he said and made a point of not just talking about Game 5, but talking about what happened in the last couple of weeks. Like, I I would say, I don't know you said that Dubois is the most likely to be traded. I actually would tell you Mark Scheifele is. Like, I think he is done here. And, And I could see potentially Dubois being here for the start of the year if they didn't get the offer that they think is fair and makes them the best because they know they could trade him at some point this season. And I'll tell you what, at the deadline... Although it would really be a blow to a team that if you are like Jeff's Jeff's example, I mean, if this team is in a playoff spot, let's say, and then you're trading Pierre-Luc Dubois, well, that's a real that's a real blow to the team and a blow to the fan base. But again, I think a lot of people would understand that they have to do it if this guy is going to be gone at the end of the year. But I think Shifley's gone. I think the will to trade Wheeler is right there, although it's a hell of a lot harder. And, you know, again, you know, what sort of salary do they eat? What do they take back? I mean, the return for Blake Wheeler is very different than those other three players. Um, Dubois, it's more situational. He's not going to sign. So you have to figure out when and what is the best offer for them. And then Connor Halibut, to me, Remo, is is a much bigger... um, a bigger issue because of the position that he plays how good that he is but also what that might be able to bring you back from a number of interested teams and suitors in and around the league so that's sort of the way i see it but uh i would almost say it is most likely that zero well at least of the three forward the skaters i'd say it's most likely that zero of those guys are back i could be wrong on say one and then as they said, we'll find out more about what's happening behind the scenes in these conversations with Connor Hellebuck. But I don't think it's a coincidence that he's number one on that trade list that was just dropped today.
1: Yeah, just you and Ken talked about it in the video on our channel from I think last weekend, where you know, he came out and said in that year end it was like, Well, maybe the mix isn't right and talked about, you know, not having many years left. He's thirty years old and you know, for Connor Hellebuck and the Winnipeg Jets If they, you know, if they want to, do you really want to re-sign a goalie, you know, long-term, you know, on thirty years old? Like, is that the type of player you want to be giving out a long-term contract to? And, and I don't know if that is. And you might be better off just trying to get as much value as you can. And if there's teams lining up for a top goalie like Buffalo or New Jersey or who Pittsburgh needs a goalie, but I don't know if they have. They keep trading away all of their picks. Um, Yeah, like like there's teams that need a goalie and you, you might be you might be better off just getting what you can and moving on because one thing's for sure too we've all talked about how Hellebuck has just masked so many of the defensive problems with the Jets and you know i mean it's been great but maybe there's no, there hasn't been the incentive to improve in areas where it's like yeah, Hellebuck, he's going to bail us out he can stand on his head and make you know 40 50 saves so that, i think certainly you know and it does also has moved dollars from the goalie and look at the playoffs. You know, look at Vegas. I think they've been a great example of plugging pretty much any goalie in there. And if their forwards and defense play such a great structure, you can plug anyone in and they can win. And maybe the Jets are better off using that money on a forward, you know, on you know the on a skater rather than a goalie.
0: Yeah. Funny, funny comment in chat here from Rob Mahoney. Andrew also wanted to trade Shifley last summer. He wants it so bad. They should have. Look where that got us this year. I mean, he had this great, and listen, I guess his numbers goal-wise are better, but I mean, Rob, did you watch the last two months of the season? Did you hear Rick Bonus at the end of the year? You don't think that maybe that would have been a good idea, trading him with an extra year on his contract and what that would have brought the team back? Listen, I'm sorry. The guy is selfish. The guy is not a great team player. He's certainly not a leader or a guy that you want to be putting the key, like the guy that's taking over. He was supposed to be that guy. I mean, everything was set up for Mark Scheifele to be that guy. We found out now he's not, and that's why he's in this list right now. The Winnipeg Jets thought that he was going to be their golden boy, the first ever pick, the guy that was going to sign, take us to the promised land. Remember Maurice putting up the statues? Like, I'm sorry. We, we And we should be kicking, and they should be kicking themselves, to be honest, too, because they knew this. This had been... In their face for the last couple seasons, and unfortunately, even with all the incredible talent that he brings to the uh, brings to the the table and the goals that he scored, what was the biggest issue when this team was falling apart at the end of the year? What the hell happened to fifty five? Where was he? He got moved to the wing. number one center you're moving into the wing at the end of the year listen i'm sorry we've talked about this tons i was right in november of last year i was the first person in this market to bring it up like hey maybe we need to start thinking about these things and i don't want to be the i told you so guy but if you're going to come at me on that i was right and a lot more people have figured that out right now and i'll tell you what they need to make a great deal they need to make, you know, bring in some assets that come in, and hopefully they're assets that are concerned with a lot more things than, um, than you know, than what they get, who they're playing with. The great team asset, team players. Um, assets to a team. Um, and I hope that they aren't spending all their time with Adam Oates, too, for that matter. I hope rather they're spending time with their actual head coach trying to win hockey games as opposed to things on that. Anyways, I went off a little bit on that, but... Uh, <laughs> There, there, you, you know you know what I'm feeling about that.
1: Yeah, everyone's saying in chat, Rob putting on a A plus class there in trolling. He uh, so certainly, <laughs> certainly, certainly got you. So yeah. Well,
0: no. Listen, I just because this is, and I mean, hey, I, I, like, there's nothing I want more than the team to do well and all that. But um, I mean, you can go back to the first time I brought this up on this show, and I mean, it wasn't that I was saying. You know, maybe as strongly as the things that I'm saying right now. But listen, <clears throat> the spidey senses were tingling on whether this was going to be that guy moving forward, and that was when we had Pierre-Luc Dubois. I, I mean, you would have, if you had made that trade at that point. How different would the team look? How would the team chemistry have looked? Would we have missed the play? Would they have missed the playoffs last season? And then tanked again in the second half of this season? I'm not sure. I mean, the guy can score. He'll do a lot of things, and I think wherever he goes, hopefully he will end up being, uh, you know, a, a, a teammate and have learned some lessons. You know, on on what can really be part of a big thing. I, I'm not just—I don't believe that he was that concerned with that. Here, it was more about um, the name on the back of the chest than uh, what was on the front. And so, anyways, I'm—we'll uh, see what happens. I mean, he's been—he's uh, done a lot, and I don't want to take this, you know too far i mean i think that's where he is right now as a player but i also will acknowledge that he is one of the best jets of 2.0 by far um has had a great impact on this city and this community but i think we realize i mean when you talk about being patient and waiting too long this is the perfect example of this management group you know probably getting a pretty good idea of what the issues were and thinking that maybe it would go away or maybe they could solve it and Um, I'll tell you right now, the return on Mark Shifley this summer, when I think it's happening, is not going to be what would have been a year ago or a year and a half ago. And if that was the case, I wonder how different the history of these last two seasons would have been. Uh, and I certainly know Rick bonus would probably have a few less gray hairs as to what he had to deal with uh, coming up last year. This is something we do got to get out. We've gotten long here today. This is something that will definitely be hitting uh, tomorrow on the program. We'll have Mike on. I'm very interested to see what he has to say about that. And uh, as I say, this is just the first trade bait board of the year for us to get to. Oh, oh. by the way, Ben Howard preach us. Now tell us what happens to Helly. Well, I think the most likelihood, and again, you all of you know, I think he is the franchise player of the Winnipeg Jets, and I would pay him the money. Um, I, I would feel less, I, I would feel less concerned about giving Connor Hellebuck that deal that he absolutely earned and is going to get somewhere in the NHL. I mean, he's as reliable as any. He doesn't get hurt. He plays each and every night. Um, you know, are there risks involved in giving a player at that age that many years? For sure. But I'd feel more confident with doing on a Hellebuck deal than I would be, for instance, on you know a Shifley deal at 31. Um, but again, it doesn't matter what I think because I'm not the one making the uh, one the one making the uh, the decisions. Um, hey, uh, we got to get to the uh, Coolbet lines and stuff tonight. But just before we do that, uh, shout out to uh, Jason Day winning on the tour this week. PGA Championship coming up. We'll have a couple segments for. The big second major of the year coming up and a big shout out to Breezy Ben out there on the weekend. It is absolutely gorgeous right now. Um, really looking forward to uh, spending the uh, summer out there. And if you want to get on the waiting list for next year for Breezy Ben for you and your family, give Chori Corey Johnson a call over at the course or Check them out online at breezyben.ca. And I know fishing started this weekend. Get your licenses, everyone, before you throw your uh, lines in the water. If you're looking for a world class fishing experience, Just a couple hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot. World-class fishing with even more world-class hospitality from the incredible people that run it. Great corporate uh, outing or friends and family trip. They're about 90% filled for the year right now. So get to AikensLake.com right now if you do want to find out more information on joining us at Aikens sometime this year. And of course... Beautiful weather all week heading into Little Brown, uh, heading into the long weekend, which reminds me of Little Brown Jug, the great new generic lager, 1919, new summer beers coming out. your best place to uh, try it out is get on down to the uh, brewery and taproom on William Avenue. You can also check them out on LittleBrownJug.ca for everything you have going on citywide local delivery as well uh, but make sure you're uh, stocking up with the good stuff manitoba and winnipeg's favorite local beer little brown jug for the upcoming weekend uh Rima, before we go let's get to the cool bet lines and talk about this game tonight dallas and seattle I, listen i didn't have seattle going to seven with colorado or with colorado and i certainly didn't have them going to seven with the uh stars tonight Will this be the bounce-back game from Jake Ottinger after he was given the hook in game number six? Dallas is a minus 200 favorite. Once again, the Kraken, a big, big underdog, but uh, that hasn't stopped them so far. Plus 167 on the money line. Will the dogs be barking tonight, or will it be Dallas and Vegas in the Western Conference final? You
1: know, the way road teams have won in this playoffs, Huss, and underdogs... I think you're probably better off betting Seattle, but at plus 167. So, I mean, if you want to just go with the math and the value bet, I would probably do Seattle, but I don't think I've been picking against them all the time. I don't think they're going money puck has it. 60% Dallas, which is kind of high. I do you have the better goalie and Ottinger? I think I just think they're a the better team, but Seattle keeps doing it. And I like what Tom said. They don't have any, anyone bad. They just have four solid lines. They can roll out. I mean, you don't know on any given night who's going to step up and be the scorer. I'm I'm picking Dallas, but uh, I think Seattle's a better value bet. Uh, C- Canes and Panthers series line is up
0: right now. Canes are the favorite -130. They'll have home ice advantage and the Florida Panthers +110. I did put together a little exclusive for today though in the lock shop. If you click on the partner parlay, it's the ride with Huss. I am taking Dallas to win. I think this is going to be a big bounce-back game for Jake Ottinger. I'm saying that Seattle scores two goals or less. I've got Rupee Hintz scoring two points tonight, and I've got Joel Pavelski scoring a goal. So this is a big one. This is a big swing. It's 9-1, to one, plus 900. Pavelski goal, two points or more from Hintz. Kraken to score two or less and the stars to win plus 900 right now at the lock shop partner parlay. I don't, there's no value in just betting the stars at minus 200. Nope. So we had to, we had to have a little fun
1: with the nice exclusive and the fellows gave us a nice number on that one. That is nice. I actually was going to say Joe Pavelski's for sure scoring. That's all he's done since he's come back, you know, big playoff performer. Rupe hints. You didn't, you know, if he was underrated before this playoffs, he certainly had a breakout. Love that goal. He scored. Um, was it not the last game? I think the game before where he was in front and he just did that little one touch to himself and just roofed it from in close. And yeah, you're going to need Jay Cottinger. So you're betting on the stars. The one star who hasn't showed up for Dallas, uh, Jason Robertson, you know, he had over 40 goals in the regular season. And uh, they, who the panel on sports, and I was talking about him just gripping his stick too tight and not really feeling. And I wonder if he breaks out at some point. Cause he's, a, he's a really good player. And I mean, Dallas, they got, you talk about New Jersey, getting there this year and being, like the uh, Ken said on Friday, the Winnipeg Jets of 2018. I think Dallas, they have so many young players in Robertson, Hintz, Ottinger, Heisken, and they're going to be here over and over um, for the next couple seasons as well. So um, I think Dallas, I think Dallas-Vegas would be a great series. I don't want to see Seattle. Two expansion teams makes you want to throw up us. so. <laughs> Let's go with with Dallas. A real hockey city like Dallas, right? Or is Carolina the most hockey city, their most recent cup winner of the four remaining? That is actually hilarious. I mean, when you think
0: about this, I guess the Panther, or the Panthers, the oldest team of that group? Uh, Well, technically Carolina because it includes Hartford. Yeah, but we're not talking about Hartford. We're just talking about those. Oh, and
1: in that market... Yes, Those the Panthers in that would be, market would be the oldest <laughs> team from 93 because Carolina was like 96. Yeah, that's funny. Although Seattle gets world. snow. Uh, so I think, and they love, they support uh, Thunderbirds. They like hockey Pacific Northwest. So I think that is yeah. a pretty good hockey market.
0: Well, no, no, it, it is for sure. I hey, I got nothing against and, the Kraken. I mean, I think they they're a great, great story right now. But I am sort of with you. Like, can you imagine a Kraken Vegas Western Conference no. Final guaranteeing one of the expansion teams in it? Uh, that well, being said, Dallas is in our division. I don't I don't have a lot of love for Dallas, although I do like some of the players on their teams, and I am obviously
1: backing them tonight in the ride with us exclusive. Vegas four conference finals in their first six seasons, and it's kind of funny. Um, I'll give credit to the NHL here for getting in on Vegas early because you know they moved the Raiders there, the A's. I don't know what's going on with their stadium. I think they finally got a deal. But I was talking to my cousin who was just there for games one and two of the Jets series, and he was saying how Vegas fans they feel like the the Golden Knights franchise is actually theirs and not like the other ones, Raiders and A's, are yeah. just bring, brought there to make money. Um, you know, Vegas. I think they feel more of a connection to the hockey team there, and I think that's kind of cool.
0: No, that is good. Brass bonanza. Talk about Hartford. <laughs> Sorry, brass bonanza. Did not mean to besmirch the great legacy of the whale. And then waiters. How about those Lakers and Heat? Two seven seeds. He were actually the eight seed. <laughs> they beat the number one Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Incredible. Yeah, Celtics moving on, and uh, the Lakers beating the Warriors on the weekend. So uh, we've got uh, actually. Speaking of which, is that game one? Uh, game one tonight. Do we have? Oh no, we don't get Lakers and Nuggets begin on the sixteenth, so that's Wednesday tomorrow. And the Heat and Celtics. It was today? Oh yeah, today's the fifteenth. Oh yeah. yeah, so tomorrow Lakers and Nugs, and then uh, Wednesday Heat and Celtics. Uh, oh, I see we've got some draft props right and now there was...
1: for the NBA as well. And it sounds like the NHL is going to be a bit of a break. I saw Ken Bulky from Sinbin Vegas who's saying. Friday for the West final. That's what he's saying. All indications coming my way Friday for game 1. Nothing is set in stone and I haven't seen um I haven't seen anything he's starting
0: on Wednesday.
1: He says yeah, Wednesday we don't even, or,
0: and we don't have a number. Yeah, we don't have a date yet for Carolina Falls. Yeah. They should
1: Okay, whatever. I mean I'm not going to spend time complaining it, about he, he says Wednesday or Friday. Well, the games. NHL schedule, like when they schedule that Oiler game, announced the date, and then changed it, the Oiler like Vegas.
0: I guess they don't want to get burned again <laughs> on that. And it may have to do with, uh, you know, some building availability. Well, the Mavericks aren't playing right now. and Actually, I don't even think they play in the same rink anymore. Do you, are, are the Stars and the Mavs I, in the, the same arena? American, American Airlines Center? I think they do. Probably. I think they
1: do. Um, and uh, the Kraken have their own, but regardless – yeah i'm just i'm just reading e s p n is gonna do the west final t n t doing the east and so they're so the panthers in heat alternating nights on t n t so no panthers heat conflict for fans out there
0: what a what a what a time to be a south Florida sports fan right now good stuff uh, anyways folks great to see you all back and we missed a few of you live last week great to see you here not you know certainly jets conversation uh, ice. Back at it. Game three tomorrow. We'll have something on that. Bomber training camp. It's uh, uh, no shortage of topics for us to get to on Winnipeg Sports Talk right now. Again, a huge thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Uh, by the way, if you do if you want to play a Cool Bet and you haven't before, use that promo code WST for a 100% deposit up to 200 bucks on your first deposit. That uh, exclusives in the uh, lock shop section in the Cool Bet exclusives other than that enjoy game 7 tonight. Uh we will uh, talk about it tomorrow a little bit more in the Jets off season with Mike McIntyre get his thoughts on you know some of the trade targets the Winnipeg Jets might have and you know now that people are uh, now that Edmonton and Toronto's out at least the Canadian media will be more focused on the off season so I think that'll turn into a little
1: bit more <laughs> scuttlebutt for us to get to, talking about the Winnipeg Jets here on WST. Oh yeah, yeah. Toronto's out, so okay, here's the new TSN trade bait board. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Let's go. Um,
1: folks, thanks again. Uh, enjoy the weather.
0: Get outside. Get the barbecue going. Enjoy Game 7 tonight, and we'll see you tomorrow 1 o'clock p.m. Central, live on YouTube. Hit that red subscribe button. Well, This is Winnipeg Sports Talk. Have a great night. Oh my god! Oh! Shut it down! Oh, no. Let's go! Home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.